get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I think after all the pitching gets settled, uh, how many prospects you're going to have to give up, how many dollars you're going to have to give up, after all that, then I think they could go to Goldschmidt and entertain possibly a, an extension because he's the guy, he's the kind of guy you want around your young guys. Like, if you traded Paul Goldschmidt, you would be trying to get another Paul Goldschmidt tomorrow. So I just don't see John like ever pulling the trigger on getting rid of that guy. That was John Denton on the Blue Cardinals to extend Paul Goldschmidt. I think right now, I think everybody just wants to see how this season starts. You know, obviously, uh, we want to get off on the right track, and, and then we can address things like that. In a follow-up conversation with John Mosellock, they was then asked, hey, is that something that is on your side? Is it something that's on his side? Like, who is holding back from a potential extension? And he basically said, yeah, it's both. It's both. I think Goldie wants to see where the Cardinals are at because he doesn't want to spend the next couple of years on a losing team. Makes sense. And the Cardinals want to see where Goldie's at because of, you know, what happened in the second half of the season and what has now become somewhat of a trend with him where it starts to wane as the season continues. So, T-Bone, yesterday it is officially extension season. The Cardinals or the Royals got their extension done with Bobby Witt Jr. He's going to be there for the long haul. Yesterday, the Houston Astros announced a five-year, $125 million contract extension with Jose Altuve. T-Bone, I looked it up because I was curious. Okay, how does Altuve compare with Paul Goldschmidt? Because I considered both to be some of the most consistent hitters in baseball over the last, you know, decade or so. They're both up there in age at this point in their respective careers. Altuve is a franchise icon in Houston, maybe in a way that Goldie is not yet here in St. Louis, but I think both are future Hall of Famers in my mind. So... Jose Altuve over the last three years, what I found, he is exactly at the plate what Paul Goldschmidt has been for the Cardinals over the last three years. I mean, down to the batting average, on-base percentage, and slugging percentage being off by like a point here or there. They are the exact same hitters. And if you look at the wins above replacement numbers, it's actually slightly in favor of Paul Goldschmidt. So it's a five-year, $125 million deal for Jose Altuve. He is also, for what it's worth, two years younger than Paul Goldschmidt. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You guys can check us out on YouTube at youtube.com slash 101ESPNSTL. We've got the graveyard over there. Get involved in the chat if you'd like. T-Bone, my question to you today is very simple. Is this the framework for a potential Paul Goldschmidt extension? Have we just seen what it's going to take? Probably because he's two years older, a three-year contract worth about $25 million per season. Is that what we're looking at if 
the Cardinals wanted to extend Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah, I think it would be something very similar to that. It, it would probably be in that three-year, $75 million range, and maybe they do two years, and maybe they add an option to it as well. But I, I think you're right. I, I think when you look at the profile of these two guys, it's going to be pretty similar. In fact, maybe because of the war, maybe Goldie tries to get just a little bit more than $25 million a year but it wouldn't be much more than that. I, I think that is the framework for what you are looking at for a Paul Goldschmidt extension. And if I'm in the Cardinal shoes, though that doesn't sound like a bad deal, like 25 mil for Paul Goldschmidt a year, I would still wait, though, if I'm in the St. Louis Cardinals' shoes. And, and it sounds like they're going to with Paul Goldschmidt because I want to see him bounce back from what was, I'll call it a down year, even though it was still a pretty good year from Paul Goldschmidt, but it was a down year compared to his MVP year in which he had the lowest slugging percentage of his major league career. And that is something that goes as you start to get older. So I would wait if I'm the Cardinals on this kind of a deal, at least until maybe the all-star break to see what his first half looks like. But the contract that he signs, it would shock me if it's not similar to Altuve's AAV. I wouldn't do this. Not yet. I don't think that you're going to have to pay significantly more than this based on what he does this upcoming year. Like is Paul Goldschmidt suddenly going to price himself out of the Cardinals range? No. The Cardinals are more than willing to pay the AAV. That's never been a problem. I think there's been a bit of a misunderstanding, and maybe this is a misrepresentation by me. It's my fault. But of how I feel about the Cardinals' spending habits, I don't think the Cardinals spend too little money. I think the Cardinals are kind of right around the range that they should be. Like 8 to 12 is probably around where their payroll should be going into any given season. Now, I would like them to be more aggressive. That's the difference. I don't think it matters if they spend an extra 10, 5, less than $10 million. Like their, their payroll is what it is. If they would have, instead of signing Lance Lynn, traded for Chris Sale and then just not given him the extension that he got in Atlanta, I would have been fine with that. And that would have meant roughly the same payroll going into this upcoming season. The difference is in aggressiveness. The difference is in creativity. So moving forward, would the Cardinals be willing to give Goldie a three-year, $75 million deal? I have no reason to believe that they wouldn't. They've shown a willingness to give out those kinds of contracts to many different players. Their unwillingness is on the long-term deals. Like, they were never going to give Yamamoto what he got in L.A. And maybe they shouldn't, but they were never going to give Bryce Harper what he got in Philadelphia. They absolutely should have been willing to go to those lengths. They were never going to do the Manny Machado deal. They probably should have been willing to do that kind of a contract. So I'm not concerned about them their willingness after the season to go there with Paul Goldschmidt. I just wouldn't do it now. What's the need? Why is it a pressing issue for the Cardinals? You're not going to have him make $100 million over the next three seasons if he has a good year this year. It's probably going to always be in that $25 million range. And in fact, the overwhelming likelihood is it's only going to go down from there. The cost of business is not necessarily going up with a 37-year-old first base only type. It's just not the kind of guy that ends up earning a crap ton of money on the free agent market. So I I would not sign him now. I was worried about this going into spring training. And frankly, I was kind of heartened by the fact that John Mosaic was like, yeah, we're going to wait on that. It's like, oh, okay, good. That's smart. That's a good way to operate because these are the kinds of deals that have given the Cardinals some issues in previous seasons. They were overly aggressive, in my opinion, with the way no money that they were willing to give. They, I think, were overly aggressive at times with the Yachty extension at the end, the Matt Carpenter extension at the end, the Michaelis extension at the end. These are the kinds of deals that come back to haunt them at times. I think they should wait it out 
if Goldie is really good in the first half, when you get to the all-star break, that's when maybe you go back to the table and start having conversations with him. Yeah, and that's exactly where I sit as well. Is yeah, He's not going to outprice himself because, like you said, who wants a 36-year-old, 37-year-old just first baseman? A lot of those guys aren't getting jobs right now. J.D. Martinez, for example, just a thirty late 30s DH, really good hitter. He's having a tough time finding a job mm-hmm. right now. So he's not going to outprice himself. I, I, I think you're right on in terms of you wait till the all-star break, see where things are at. And then you can approach him about a contract extension if the season's going well. And even if it is like what it was last year at the All-Star break, it's like, eh, I don't know. Let's just wait till the end of the year. I, I I have no issue if he ends up going, quote unquote, to free agency. And then they still figure out to work it out at the end of the completion of the 2024 season. Yeah, that's that's the way that I would play it. I asked this on Twitter uh, at BK Sports Talk. Would you give a three year, $75 million contract extension to Paul Goldschmidt right now? I'm a little surprised by this. I wasn't sure the direction that this was going to go. It's about 50-50. It's almost right in the middle on if people would do this or not. And I could understand either perspective. I won't crush the Cardinals if they go out and, you know, give Paul Goldschmidt a future Hall of Fame first baseman, a three-year contract extension with roughly market value money. But for me, I just wouldn't do it. I don't think it's necessary at this point in time. T-Bone, this brings us to the next question about the Cardinals in this upcoming year. I think there's a lot of pessimism from some corners of the internet about the St. Louis Cardinals, understandably so. And we've talked about how they they are setting themselves up for a potential out. And John Mozeliak even admitted as much at winter warm-up when asked by the audience, hey, what would a rebuild look like here in St. Louis? And he said, well, we don't, we don't really do that here. But... You know, we have allowed ourselves an opportunity to get out of some of these contracts. Goldie is coming up on a free agent season. They have one-year deals in place for Lance Lynn and for Kyle Gibson. They do have some flexibility right now with what their payroll will look like in 2025 and beyond. T-Bone, if we get the doomsday scenario, I'm not projecting this. I think they're going to win like 86 to 90 games this upcoming season. I think they're going to be better than some are projecting. But if that didn't happen, if they win like 75 games... What kind of changes are we looking at here? Because we've talked about this with the Blues, where they just weren't set up to completely rebuild. They had too many long-term contracts on the books, and there's not enough flexibility around the league to be able to move off of them. Too many no-trade clauses, honestly. What would a doomsday scenario this year look like for the Cardinals? I I think if the doomsday scenario comes true, I I think they would be looking at the the conversation we had last year at the trade deadline of, you know, will they trade Paul Goldschmidt? And at the time we said, no, you don't trade Paul Goldschmidt if you feel like this is a one-off. Well, you trade Paul Goldschmidt if it happens again. And he would be a commodity at the trade deadline. Someone looking for a right-handed pop to add to their order. Uh, and he's on a one-year, he'd be a rental-type player. I, I think you would be looking at a Paul Goldschmidt trade. I think they may explore an Arenado deal potentially to try and trade him away. I don't know if that would happen at the deadline or that would be the offseason. That's probably more of a off-season type move to where they can help kind of replenish the farm system and then outside of those two like I I think those are clearly the two guys that they would try and trade because they're getting older you try to move on from those guys and you've got kind of replacements internally like Burleson at first you can move Gorman to third and have Donovan play second the other one they might do and and you tell me your thoughts on this uh, they might try and sell high on Ryan Helsley but outside of that like I think those are the three guys that I would say all of a sudden are clear-cut probably going to be gone because otherwise you're not tra- you're not trading nolan gorman to trade a nolan gorman you're not trading a mason win to trade a mason win i think the only three guys that you have that would be quote-unquote sellable pieces 
would be Goldie, Arenado, and then probably Ryan Helsley because you can find someone to go into the back end of your bullpen. Maybe Giovanni Gallegos as well. Yeah, so those were two that I was going to have on here. I had four players listed as guys that I think would be gone uh, because of a doomsday scenario for the Cardinals. Goldie, Arenado were two. They're $60 million back on your books that you have that's freed up. I think they would at least explore Wilson Contreras because of the age, because if you're yeah. going this path, you're probably going to be talking about similar to the Blues, a two- to three-year retool where you're just going to grow with these young players. And then Tommy Edmond, I think, would be a part of that list. He's got two years left on his deal, including this season. So you've got a one-year after 2024, one-year, about like $10 million contract for a guy that can play shortstop, second base, or center field for a contending team. Yeah, that's a valuable commodity to have. Even if he's a utility player for somebody else, that's a guy that other teams would absolutely love to have. And then Helsley and Gio would be the guys at the back end of your pin that you're looking to sell at the deadline as well. With those four or five players that could potentially be available, you'd get a significant haul in return at this year's trade deadline. You'd be the clearinghouse. Somebody needs a first base, big bat, Goldie, available for you. Somebody needs a third baseman of the future, hello, LA Dodgers. Here, I've got (laughs) Nolan Arenado for you. You need somebody at the back end of your pin. I've got two of them for you. You need somebody up the middle defensively. Hey, I've got Tommy Edmond for you. They've got everything that other teams would be looking for, and they've got internal replacement. You mentioned it. Burleson at first, Gorman at third, Donovan at second, Victor Scott at that point probably ready to go for center field. They have all of these readily available for that pivot if and when it comes, and I don't think that is by accident. I think the Cardinals set themselves up this year, rightly or wrongly, to be able to pivot towards a building for the future scenario if they're wrong. And I will give them credit for this because I think too many times in the past, they have not had a plan B. They have had, it's plan A, and if that doesn't work, we're going to go get John Lester and J-Hap. Plan A, if that doesn't work, God, I don't know how we're going to get it, but maybe Jose Quintana and Jordan Montgomery will be available. Like That's been their plan B, and they've gotten lucky, and it's worked out each of the past couple of times they've had to go that route. Well, last year didn't. They had no plan B. Everything went to crap. And now here we are waiting to see what 2024 looks like. MLB.com put out a list of the most pivotal seasons in Major League Baseball this year. The Cardinals were right up at or near the top of that list. I totally believe that to be true. And I think the Cardinals front office believes that to be true. Guys I didn't mention, John Mosellock, Ollie Marmel, I think there's a chance they're gone too. Yeah. If this is the doomsday scenario here in St. Louis. Again, I'm not projecting any of this. I think they're going to be pretty good this season. But if they end up going down this dreaded path, I think there will be a lot of changes that are coming here in St. Louis. Paul Goldschmidt, just the start of that. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're diving into some NFL quick hitters, including the question that everybody seems to be asking at uh, Radio Row in Las Vegas right now. Are the Chiefs a dynasty? Would you already consider them to be in that criteria? And if not, what does it take? for them to get there. We'll talk about that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Keith Law will join the show coming up at noon. Xavier Scruggs in the past couple of weeks has interviewed both Ollie Marmel and Harrison Bader, two Cardinals, one current, one former. What did he take from those interviews with two significant pieces of this team? We'll talk to Xavier Scruggs about that coming up in the 12 o'clock hour as well. But coming up next, baseball is going to have a documentary in season this year following the Boston Red Sox. I think it's a great move for the game. I hate the team they chose. We'll discuss why coming up next here on 101 ESPN. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. doing something pretty cool i'm actually in on this they're gonna do like their version of drive to survive or hard knocks or uh hockey does this i believe whenever they're going through the regular season where they follow a team and you get a no bars hold behind the scenes look at what that season will be alongside tanner hendrickson and bradford bruns i'm brandon kiley i think this is a super smart thing for Major League Baseball. They need more stuff like this. The quarterback series that was uh, put on Netflix the other, I, I guess, last year, I think it was a huge success for the NFL. Now, a big part of that is because Patrick Mahomes was a part of it. And having that kind of a name attached to your documentary is going to put more eyeballs on it. Kirk Cousins was a part of that. Marcus Mariota, a part of it. But really, the reason why it got headlines is because of the Mahomes name brand that was associated with it. So Netflix is going to have a new documentary that will follow around the Boston Red Sox this season. Now, according to reports, the Red Sox will not have final say over what is shown inside of this documentary. I'm skeptical on that, but we'll (laughs) see. I hope that that is indeed correct. That is very different than what takes place with Hard Knocks, where the teams basically get to cut it up in any way they want, and it becomes a promotional arm for the team as opposed to being an actual documentary. But T-Bone, I love that they're doing this. I just hate the team that they chose, man. I don't want to see a documentary about this year's Boston Red Sox. They're not interesting to me. I like Alex Cora, so I'll watch for that perspective. But what else about this year's Red Sox is super compelling to you? They're like the fourth best team in their own division. Maybe the worst team in their own division. So we're just going to watch a terrible baseball team scraping through the regular season. As a St. Louis fan, I'll be watching for the Tyler O'Neill piece of the puzzle. I want to see the no bars hold conversations between he and Alex Cora. But otherwise, what are we talking about here? Why Why the Red Sox? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think just because they're a name brand, I, I would say, because like you're right. I, I, I'm like looking at their roster right now, and I'm like, there's like nobody here that's interesting. Like Rafael Devers is like a really good player, but I've heard him do the interviews on Sunday Night Baseball before. And he doesn't scream someone that is super exciting. I mean, the only exciting part about O'Neill will be when he gets yelled at by Alex Cora because his knees hurt when they go to Tampa Bay. But outside of that, yeah, I, I I find the Red Sox to be a boring and bad baseball team. I'm a little shocked that they chose to go with Boston because I, I love the idea. I, I think you're spot on. I think this is great for baseball. Problem is, is I would want to go with a team that is A, compelling, and B, is going to be good. And that doesn't fit the Boston Red Sox whatsoever. Like, I would have rather seen them, like, follow – 
the Philadelphia Phillies with like Bryce Harper and, and Kyle Schwarber and Nick Castellanos. And there's who 20 have different teams that we can name in Major League Baseball that I would rather see than this year's Red Sox. Yeah, I I have an issue with the Red Sox being on here. I I would prefer somebody else. I, I'll probably still watch it just to see how they kind of do this. And if they if the Red Sox don't have say in it. I think that's great because then you're really going to get to see some of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And I hope you get to look into their front office because I, as as great as it will be to see the stuff that goes on behind the scenes, like in the dugout and on the field, I want to see the front office perspective for how much fire that front office has come under and that ownership group has come under from Boston fans for their lack of spending over the last couple of years. Do you know who their projected number one starter is heading into opening day? Is it B- Bilo, Bilo, whatever his name is? Lucas Giolito. <laughs> Nick Pavetta still on the squad? He is. He is. I would love the Cardinals to trade for Nick Pavetta. I like Nick Pavetta. He he had one of the best starts that I've seen by an opposing team starter against the Cardinals. I think it was two years ago now. He was unbelievable against them, but their lineup isn't even good. Like, you've got Devers, good player. Yoshida, who they would love to trade, and they told everybody that would listen all yeah. offseason, hey, we, we would love to get off of this money. Tyler O'Neill is going to be like a four or five hole hitter for them going into this upcoming year. This is not a good baseball team. So I think there was a mistake that was made in terms of the decision making on which team they will follow. But the idea of this, there's a lot of potential. You just can't have this just becoming the next version of a publicity arm. Like the the in-season hard knocks, I enjoy. I think it's really fun. The preseason hard knocks, dude, you couldn't pay me to watch that with what was essentially a an advertisement for Aaron Rodgers and how great this guy is and how much he's going to change the fortune for the New York Giants. I could not care less to watch that version of the show. But if you're actually going to show me something here, like, okay, cool. The The one that was good from the, P, the PGA one, really well done. The Drive to Survive, excellent documentary throughout the F1 season. Um, the I think the quarterback documentary was really good. They did a good job with that. In-season hard knocks is is fine as long as you understand that it's being edited by the team itself. I will be curious to see where this one falls on the spectrum of compelling to eh, it's just another thing where the the Finway Sports Group is just putting this out as publicity. If you think about it, though, if you examine really the finer points here, it almost is being branded as or marketed as a season-long advertisement for the Red Sox. Netflix is absolutely smitten because... This package deal of sorts, not only are you getting the in-season documentary, but part of this is the fact that Netflix is going forward with a documentary, a separate one on the 20-year anniversary of the curse being broken. Now, that, that is one will compelling, be good. but again, you're putting all of your eggs this season in the one basket that is the Boston Red Sox at the moment. Not sure about that. So this isn't the only bit of news that was released yesterday when it comes to the television side of things. T-Bone, I... I didn't see this one coming. By the way, I need to respond to this. So I I said no holds barred. Um, do you ever have a thing where in your head... You said what? No holds barred. It's no... What is the actual saying? No bars held. I, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, I when, believe you. When you have a saying in your head that you believe is one thing, but it's actually something completely different. Like people always say uh, chomping at the bit. It's champing at the bit. But people all in their head, I'm sure T-Bone, you've probably heard, 
you think when you hear it, it's chomping at the bit. And so that's just what it gets repeated all, all the time, right? Over and over and over again. I just had one of those moments in my head where I was certain that I was correct in the way that I was saying this, but I could not have been any more wrong. Like I had 100% confidence in what I was saying. Because semantics, they're, they're nitpicking. I could, not, I could not have been more wrong about what I was saying over the radio. Do you have stuff like that? Oh, I do it all the time. Okay. I, yeah, I fall victim to this a lot. I didn't even know you said a saying, so like when you just repeated that i went what are you talking about yeah it's no holds barred is the saying and i just completely butchered it as much as i possibly can i'm just gonna remove that from my vocabulary we're gonna move on from that all right so espn fox and the warner brothers have announced that they're going to have a new streaming venture together and if you haven't seen the details of this let me explain it to you they have created something called cable no oh, well it's <laughs> just excellent for all of us it, it is an interesting way to go about it. It's not going to solve everything by any stretch of the imagination. But T-Bone, this is apparently going to be available via multiple different streaming services. It's kind of what they've talked about with baseball potentially going on Amazon Prime, where there's just going to be yeah. a channel on Amazon Prime of like, you go there kind of like the MLS package through Apple TV, where you go to Apple TV and then through that you get a subscription <laughs> to the MLS season pass. That's what this could potentially be, where you've got ESPN, ESPN2, FS1, etc., all available to you, like Turner, TNT, all available to you on an app now instead of having to subscribe through cable. So if you're a big sports fan and you watch television and the only reason you have cable, this applies to many of us, I would assume, in this room currently, the only thing you're really watching on cable is the sports channels. This could actually end up being a great thing for you where you can just subscribe to a like sports plus package and you don't have to spend, you know, a hundred dollars a month on whatever your cable subscriber is right now. I think this could end up being really good for consumers and I will be curious to see what it looks like. But I do find it interesting that we have gone through this entire cycle of like, okay, we had the the, the cable subscription services. And then everything went off into like a different streaming service yeah. and you had to have a hundred different streaming packages. And now we're just consolidating the streaming packages into one, which is essentially cable <laughs> through a subscription network. I, it is a remarkable thing that we've arrived in the same place once again. Yeah, it's funny how we've gotten back from, we went from point A to point B, basically back to point A, but it, you're right, it is interesting. and. I'm fascinated to see how this kind of works out and how it kind of plays to the consumers and what 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 ends up going well for this. Because what I find interesting about this is, one, you don't have CBS involved in it yet, which is a little surprising for me. Um, and two, that it's going to operate as like its own entity, but yet the, the they're going to hire a CEO for this adventure. Yet he's going to have to report to the three different bosses, which... As I've seen when commissions kind of come together, they don't work out very well. <laughs> so I, I'm fascinated to see if this will actually hold up, how well these three sides are going to be willing to say, hey, this is best for all three of us to combine together. Or if one side finally says, wait, 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 we should be making more. We have the better stuff. I think it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out, not just in terms of what we see when the numbers come out of like how many consumers are going to it, what the price is but how these CEOs fight over this behind the scenes because this typically does not go very well. As a consumer, what do you guys want? Like if you, I don't think they'll ever go this route, but if you could go to a clearinghouse, so let's let's call it Amazon Prime in this scenario, right? And you could just say, okay, 
I want to buy the ESPN package. I want to buy the Fox Sports package. I want to buy the Turner Sports package. And I'd like to buy the Food Network package. It's an a la carte, right? Like you're going to a Mexican restaurant and instead of getting one of the combination platters, you're just going, I want a taco, an enchilada, and a tostada. Like, I, I don't need the, the rice. I don't need the beans. Take off all of the sides. That's not important to me. I just want my main entrees and I'll go about it that way. It, is that the preference? Is the preference something like this? Is the preference just sticking with cable and saying, I don't understand why we went the other direction for as a consumer, what would you want it to be in the long term? I mean, I hate, I'm more old school than anybody, but I think I would almost go towards the cable route. I mean, that's where we're all, I mean, it's where it's all going, essentially, yeah. is. Just through streaming instead of through like direct yeah. TV or charter and, spectrum or and whatever. And I think it is. you're you're going to see, I mean, you're seeing HBO kind of do this already, where they have basically added a TNT bundle where you can watch all their stuff while also getting all the HBO shows as well. So I would say just, I want something that is simplified to where I get a lot of great shows and a lot of sports in one package. And you know what that is? That's cable, essentially. <laughs> so I, I would say that cable would be basically the way that I would want to go. But, hey, I'm old school. I'm 70 years old on the inside. I, I may be 24 on the outside, but I'm 70 on the inside. Call me old school as well because, as Randy suggested on the opening drive this morning, too, presentation and quality of that presentation it does matter to me and you're getting that still from cable in spades you don't have to worry about any potential buffering issues anything like that having said as much bk i do think that this quasi a la carte option that is being presented right now and depending on the actual numbers that come out if it's in that ballpark that range between 50 and 70 dollars if only temporarily that's really enticing because under that banner if you're telling me i can get espn i can get tnt i can basically get so much of the mlb nfl nba and nhl for that matter too it is really nice but at the end of the day yeah i think i probably would go completely cyclical and stick with the cable yeah if it's 50 bucks for this like i I've got all of these channels already on my cable subscription, and it's an extra 30 bucks a month. So why am I paying $50 a month for ESPN, Fox, and Warner Brothers exclusively? I, why would I do that? I've got a wife at home. I've got kids at home. Like, they want to watch my—I I would assume Luca, when he's four years old, is going to want to watch, like— Disney Channel. Hey, Kimmy, and... he's going to be running through the numbers with you. Sure, of course. Yeah, yeah. We're just going to go. out Babbitt we're during gonna be... cold games. We'll be going over to fan graphs and yeah. talking about, hey, so here is what the batting average on balls in play means. And here is why weighted runs created plus is a way better <laughs> statistic to use than RBIs. Um, no, but like, I as somebody that has a family at home, this doesn't really change it, anything for me. It, but for like point. T-Bone, this is great. Hey. Why do you need to go home and be? You don't need to I go like watch watching, Disney Junior. I like watching Nick at night when I can watch Friends. That's <laughs> but, what I was doing last night. Like I, I think that for a, a single guy, single woman who just wants to watch sports and that's the only thing you need television for, this is great. Having the option available for you is fantastic. But I, I will be interested to see what the numbers look like for something like this. Are people actually going to cancel their cable subscriptions in favor of this? option available and, and to that point real quick because i know i got to go to break what, think about it for you for example you love sports so say you invest in that well if luca does want to watch more of like disney channel by the time you start investing into like disney plus maybe there's a show on netflix that luca or your wife kara likes to watch at, at some point you're basically going to go from paying your cable bill which say is 80 dollars to paying for the sports streaming service which is 50 on top of disney which is another 10 on top of you know netflix is another 10 and all of a sudden you're right back to where you were 
So I that's where I think it's going to be interesting. That's why I find this kind of splitting off to be interesting because originally I was like, oh, well, then what will cable have that sports don't? Well, I get all of it for basically the same price I'm paying for by the time I add in all the other streaming services into the sports one. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, 314-399-9646. That is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. But coming up next, we're getting into some NFL quick hitters, including the question that appears to be the number one topic out at Media Day's for the Chiefs versus the 49ers Super Bowl. Is this Chiefs team already a dynasty in your mind? I think I'm going to go in a direction that you guys aren't expecting. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters alongside Tanner and Bradford. I'm Brandon Kylie. So let's start with this T-bone. The big question that people are asking in Vegas for Super Bowl this week is, is this Chiefs team already a dynasty? Here's what Chris Canty of ESPN had to say about that yesterday. They're a dynasty. The Patriots dynasty died a couple weeks ago when Gerard Mayo took over and Bill Belichick had to let go. That's dead, and we have a new one, and it's the, it's the Chiefs. And that's how dynasties work, right? While one is ending, one is beginning. And that's what took place with the Chiefs and with the New England Patriots. I disagree with that. I actually don't think they're a dynasty just yet. Getting to three Super Bowls, super impressive. Getting to four Super Bowls, super, super impressive. You got to win this one, man. You got to win three. What made the Patriots a dynasty early on was getting three Super Bowls in that first four-year run. If they didn't get that, I'm not sure we would have considered them to be a dynasty. That last one they got in the first era of the Tom Brady run, uh, that that's what got them to being a quote-unquote dynasty. Now, they've had one of the best sustained stretches that we've ever seen in terms of getting to the AFC Championship game thus far every year of Patrick Mahomes' career. Impressive. I'm not trying to take anything away from the Kansas City Chiefs. But being a dynasty is rarefied air, man. There are there are not always dynasties in the league. This is where I would disagree with Chris Canty. I don't think just because the Patriots came to an end, that means somebody else's begins. There's not always a dynasty that's taking place. So I, I would disagree with that. I don't think they're a dynasty just yet. They got to get the Super Bowl to get there. I think if they win on Sunday, though, that changes. Yeah, that, that's where I am. I think if they win this Super Bowl, then it is a dynasty because you're talking about three Super Bowl wins in a, what, five-year stretch there. And like you said, they've been to the AFC Championship game every single one of those years and it's back-to-back Super Bowl wins for the Kansas City Chiefs in what we would call I would say down years for the offense even though they have Patrick Mahomes and the weapons around him so I think it takes the Super Bowl win on Sunday to get classified as a dynasty they lose 
the jury will still be out on whether or not they can get that title. And by the way, the last team to do that, the back-to-back titles, was the Patriots yeah. in the early 2000s. It's all about the hardware. And regardless of the league, somewhere, guys, along the way, the last 10 years or so, our criteria has changed as far as how we're measuring or trying to quantify dynasties. It's not good enough solely to be vying for the ultimate prize, to be in the game, in the finals. You have to win the whole thing. And we have softened those expectations in the last 10 plus years. As we continue along with NFL quick hitters, Ian Rappaport had a big story yesterday on Patrick Mahomes chasing Tom Brady's titles. Mahomes told him, quote, seven seems like it's so long away still. I have a question for you guys. I, I genuinely am curious. Are you interested in this conversation? Agree. Are you interested in the Brady versus Mahomes big picture greatest of all time topic? I, it does nothing for me. I'm, nothing. I'm kind of compelled by it because I, I remember, what, last year after Mahomes won the Super Bowl, us saying there's no way he can ever catch seven rings from Tom Brady. And, like, he wins this one. He's at the same pace as Tom Brady. Four Super Bowl wins in seven years. And now, though they do it in different styles, and that's where, like, I don't even think you can have the GOAT conversation, I do find it compelling to say, is it is it fair to say Patrick Mahomes can get to seven Super Bowl rings? I, I find the conversation compelling because I thought when Brady won seven, I thought there was no way in hell anybody would ever get close to seven. I thought, like, two or three would be the max that I would see in my la- lifetime, and Mahomes can get number four with a Super Bowl win this Sunday. To a point, yes, but here we are on Wednesday. We're still several days away from the actual game. And yet, how many times already from a national standpoint, through a national lens, has this topic been hammered into the ground when there, there are so, else to talk about. so many other, no, compelling storylines and matchups to examine from this game alone? That's why I say to a point, because there's so much more than simply the default option here, the de facto option, Mahomes versus Brady. It's LeBron versus Jordan. That's all this is going to be. And listen, I'm... I'm a LeBron honk. That's my guy. And so I will take it till the end of time that that is the one that I think is better. But we are at a place where that has become a political discussion, where it is you're either on this side or that side, and there's no meeting in the middle, and there's no way anybody's going to change each other's minds. That's where we're at now already. We're six years in on Mahomes, and it's already at that place for the Mahomes versus Brady conversation. People are already line up, lining up their arguments on who's going to end better. I, I just don't care yet. Like, Give me another seven, eight, nine, ten years of the Mahomes career before I can even really have the conversation about how he stacks up with Brady. I think his prime, what we're seeing right now from Mahomes, we mentioned this last week. It's the Albert first 11 years of his career. It's the best start to a career that I've ever seen. That's all I'm willing to say, though. And I'm a Chiefs fan. So I, it, it just does nothing for me in terms of the big picture Mahomes versus Brady conversation. I understand that people are going to have it and there's no stopping it. But for me, it, it really... It, it kind of feels almost brain dead. All right, let's go down the position-by-position position battle, T-Bone. Heading into this upcoming Super Bowl, Pro Football Focus put together their list of who has the edge at each respective position. I want to see where we agree and disagree with their rankings. At quarterback, who do you think? You guys think the Chiefs have the edge here? Yeah, I'm going to go with Mahomes on this one. Moving Running on. back, do you guys think the 49ers maybe have the edge there? Yeah, yeah, I'd go with that one too. Wide receiver, do you think the 49ers might have the edge yeah, there? I'd agree. Go. Where do you see tight end? I would give the advantage to um, the Kansas City Chiefs. I, I just give Kelsey a little bit slight advantage. I think he's better um, offensively in the open field than George Kittle, but George Kittle's still great. He's just one step below him. I think he's 
he blocks a little bit more, and I don't think they utilize him as much in the pass game, so I would give the advantage to Kelsey, but it's not by much. Boy, this one is extremely close. I will actually lean San Francisco, though, just because of how valuable Kittle is as that run blocker, too. All around tight end, you can talk as much as you want about just how transformative Kelsey has been in the aerial game, but Kittle does everything, does everything basically on every down, slightly to the 49ers. Yeah, get out of here with your block talk. It, it's, oh. it's, it's in favor of Travis oh. Kelsey. He's the best I've ever seen do it, and this postseason he's been one of the best pass catchers in the league once again I, okay. I didn't see this coming I was unprepared for this I thought he was the second best receiver second up. best pass catcher on the Chiefs heading into the postseason behind Rasheed Rice he's proven that to be incredibly wrong so I'll go with Kelsey on this one offensive line I think it's the Chiefs the best offensive lineman in this game plays for the 49ers the best unit plays on the Kansas City Chiefs you guys agree with that yeah I, I would give the advantage to him because I think they're better up the middle and they I think that will help them kind of establish the running game now tackle is a little bit of concern for the Chiefs but you're right for 49ers it's just Trent Williams and then it's like a cast of who knows who defensive line you guys think that there's an edge for the 49ers there I would because they've got two better pass rushers than Kansas City I would say it's closer than a lot of people would like Bosa to say. Is the equivalent of Chris Jones, basically. Yeah. Those are two guys that are like one for one. If Aminihue was playing in this game, it'd be closer. I might give it to the Chiefs because he is their equivalent of Armstead. And then I think the depth is actually a little better on the Chiefs side of things than the 49ers. But with Aminihue being out with the torn ACL, I think I would give this in favor of the 49ers. Linebackers, no question. It's the 49ers. Fred yeah. Warner is the best linebacker in the league. Corner, Chiefs? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Safety, Chiefs? Yeah, yeah. I think it's slightly in favor. This is an even matchup, oh, dude. You didn't even want to bring up the kickers. Special oh, teams. Oh, Joe loves special, special teams. Go teams. to the Chiefs. Sure. I don't really know much about them. Anymore. Quarterback, tight end, offensive line, corner, safety goes in favor of the Chiefs. That's five on the Chiefs side of things. Running back, wide receiver, defensive line, linebacker goes on the 49er side of things. And if we went coach, I would personally go Kansas City in a big game. I could totally understand anybody that says Kyle Shanahan is the guy that you would want to back despite his previous history in big games, maybe falling a little bit short. This should be one hell of a Super Bowl, dude. As much as the talk this saw this week is going to be like big picture, I think so much of the micro in this game is fascinating, dude. Like this could be one of the better matchups we've seen in the Super Bowl in recent years. I really believe that. I, I would be shocked if it's a blowout on either side. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be close. I actually think it's going to be low scoring as well. Agreed. Um, I The weird thing is, is like I... I feel so confident in the Kansas City Chiefs going into this one, even though, like we just said, it's very close. But yet, for some reason, I'm going in this game going, yeah, this is Mahomes' Super Because I believe in the—I think the Chiefs have the better defense, the better quarterback, and the better coach. And it's very rare that the team with the better defense, better coach, better quarterback in a big game like this ends up on the losing side of things. And, yeah, because of the personnel involved both on the field and on the sidelines, too, I think this game, as opposed to even the matchup from four years ago, could be that much more of a tactician's dream if you examine it. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers. Is coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. Keith Law, baseball writer for The Athletic, will join us in less than 10 minutes. He writes about all the prospects across Major League Baseball. He is very high, very bullish on both Mason Wynn and Victor Scott. He will explain why coming up in less than 10 minutes. But right now, let's get to some of your questions on the air comfort service text line. 314-399-9646. 
0.46. T-Bone, when you look at Kyle Shanahan, do you believe that he will be a future Hall of Famer if he's able to get the Super Bowl? Oh, that is a good question. Um, I will say yes. I And honestly, if he doesn't win a Super Bowl, I think he should be considered a Hall of Famer. Because when I think of the most um, influential offensive minds in my lifetime, I go to Andy Reid, who's in, what, his 60s? Uh, and got his start in the 90s with the Eagles. And then I'm going to go to Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, kind of that tree yep. right there, that trio. Um, I think you could throw uh, what's-his-name in Miami in that conversation as well. But he's um, from Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, and, and I think I think you talk about Shanahan and McVay and those guys, they're like the most influential offensive minds that are like your age, in their 30s, 40s, taking over in the 2010s, 2012, 2015, in that range. So I think without a Super Bowl. As long as he continues to pile up wins and doesn't go through like a massive losing skid in seasons, I think he's already could be a Hall of Famer. He might be this era's version of Don Coriel. And Coriel, it took way too long to get in. He finally got into the Hall last year for his contributions to the game. That's how I view Kyle Shanahan, yeah. to your point on him being like the offensive mind of this generation. Even if he was an assistant, I would make the case for him to be that guy. But now doing it as a head coach, he's been to multiple Super Bowls already. Like, obviously, we need to see what the rest of his career looks like. And if he just falls off a cliff, we won't be talking about him this way. But his contributions to the game schematically, I think, are such that he would be somebody that I would be more than happy to put into the hall. And he's done it without a great quarterback. Like, I don't know if he's had, like, the franchise pillar yet. Like, he had Jimmy Garoppolo, stopgap. Brock Purdy, I think he's more of a stopgap or a game manager than anything. I he, This Super Bowl... I don't think it, I mean, maybe it changes the perspective of Purdy, but I think so far, like I'd say he has gotten to two Super Bowls without a franchise quarterback. From the 3-1-4, if you could have a signed jersey from any athlete ever, who would it be? Oh, Albert Pujols. I, he was my favorite player growing up and by far the best baseball player I've ever seen. I'm a huge baseball guy, so I would go with Albert Pujols hands down. People aren't going to like this answer, and T-Bone's certainly not going to like this answer. It, was, it would be Barry Bonds. I remember when I was... Ugh. 10 years old i went to a garage sale and there was a barry bonds jersey hanging on there and so i, I was a bonds fan at the time what he was doing was unbelievable despite being aided yes by steroids um and so i, I bought the jersey and i wore that thing around like six days a week so i i would go with barry bonds that would disgrace be disgrace to baseball i know i understand i understand PK, so out Tuve, but... i share in your Braun fandom so i think actually that would be my choice as a matter of fact barry bonds oh no Braun, sorry, gotta Ryan clarify. Ryan Braun? No, LeBron. LeBron. Oh, okay. Yes. I was like, what? No, going going into the rabbit hole. <laughs> All right, coming up in about 15 minutes or so. College coaches are making the transition to the NFL in a way that we have not seen in quite some time. Is it easier to transition now from college to the NFL than it was previously? We'll get into that coming up here in just a little bit. Keith Law, baseball writer for the Athletic, explains why he is so bullish on Mason Wynn and Victor Scott next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's my favorite time of the year. We are heading into the 2024 Major League Baseball season, and that means it's list season. And for Keith Law, that means putting together the list of the top 100 prospects across Major League Baseball. You can find that list over at The Athletic, and when you do so, you'll see that Mason Wynn comes in at number 16 overall, Victor Scott at number 55, and at number 73, the Cardinals have Tink Hintz, the right-handed pitcher on the list as well. Keith Law, baseball writer for The Athletic, joins us now via the 101 
one ESPN hotline. Keith, we always appreciate the time, and let's start with the top prospect in the Cardinal system on your list. That's Mason Wynn. You're you're highly excited about what he could be in the majors, at least based on what this write-up suggests. What is your current projection for him this upcoming season? Well, I think you'll see reasons I'm so excited about him, right? You're going to see a leap as, as well as anybody I mean, maybe I've ever seen. Like You have to go back to guys like Rafael Percal, Sean Dunstan, talk of, you know, to compare his arm to somebody. And he's got great range. He's got really good instincts. I think he's going to add value right away to the defense while you wait for the bat. It would not surprise me at all if he struggled a little bit with the bat in year one. He's very young. He's still not super experienced. He has shown the ability to at least distinguish balls from strikes at a pretty high level. He did that all the way up to Triple A, which I think is a great sign. I won't be surprised if the major league spin on a regular basis continues to give him trouble. The major league change-ups, they just, the way the minors are now, you don't see those kinds of pitches, that caliber of pitches, very consistently, uh, particularly because pitchers pitch so little, pitching prospects pitch so little in the minors that, and he's so young, it would not surprise me that if you needed an adjustment period there, but he's got that foundation of defense and also base that I think will carry him through that he'll still be valuable this year, even as we're waiting for the bat to continue to come along. Hey, Keith, we, we've got a little bit of a tough connection on our end with you. It might, it might be something with our phones. I'm going to have our producer give you another call back, so that way maybe we can get a little bit of a better connection there with Keith Law, baseball writer for The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter, by the way, at Keith Law. That's an easy way to find the link to the top 100 Major League prospects uh, where he has Mason Wynn, as he just mentioned, at number 16 on his list. T-Bone, I think that as we hear some of the prospects people, we talked to Kylie McDaniel last week who writes about the prospects for ESPN. Now you hear the write-up and what Keith Law just had to say about Mason Wynn on this side of things. I'm getting more excited about what the potential is there, not just defensively, but also with what he can do with his bat. Yeah, that's what I'm excited, too, because I I thought for sure he was going to be more of just a glove guy for the majority of the first, like, five years of his career. But as you heard Keith say, as he kind of grows into learning his tools offensively, he can become maybe a weapon for the St. Louis Cardinals, potentially even at the top of the order, maybe. Keith, we, we were talking about what your write-up is on Mason Wynn for, from the Bats perspective, and thanks so much for hopping on back on with us here. How, how long do you think it'll take for him to be able to reach that potential? You said it'll probably be an adjustment, but how long do you think it takes for us to see kind of peak Mason Wynn offensively? I mean, I have two answers to that. I mean, it's a great question. But, you know, historically, and people have put, you know, some, some longtime baseball people pointed that out this out to me a long time ago. These really good defense, athletic middle infielders who make contact but don't do a lot with the bat, sometimes those guys have taken a few more years to develop. And Cardinals fans ought to remember the big one, Ozzie Smith. You look at what he did his first few years, right? He, he was nothing with the bat. I think he'd probably been in the major seven or eight years before he became more of an offensive weapon. Uh, players don't take quite that long anymore, and I don't think it's going to take Mason Wynn seven years to become that kind of player, but it wouldn't surprise me if it took two or three. He's a great, great athlete. He has shown great aptitude. He's learned things very quickly, but I also recognize the jump from facing minor league pitching to facing major league pitching feels like it's as big as it's ever been, certainly in my 22 years in this industry. It's just crazy how I go to minor league games way more than I go to major league games. When I pop in on a major league game, it's like, oh, this is like a different sport. Right? It's just such a higher caliber that I don't get down on any kid who struggles the first time he's fa- first time through he's facing major league pitching. And if Wynn does that, 
I'm not getting off the, the train. I am very much a believer he will be a star. This might not be this season. And, Keith, if he does hit, though, that 80th like percentile outcome and his bat develops this year for the St. Louis Cardinals, do you think the Cardinals will have one of the deepest lineups in all of Major League Baseball? That's an interesting question. I mean, they've got a bunch of guys who I think would take step forwards. I expect more from Jordan Walker this year. Um, I think I think Mason Wynn's going to be really good. I mean, they will. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's not going to be – I guess you could argue they might have a hole here or there depending on how certain guys develop. They also just have a lot of guys they really like. Like Yvonne Herrera, like, hey, play that guy. Man, I think that guy can hit. And he started to hit – you know, when he played last year, especially in AAA, he was hitting the ball harder. It's the only thing we were really waiting on, right? This guy doesn't strike out. I think he can catch. Most people I know thought he could catch. The question was the bat. And it was like, well, it's all contact, but it's not very hard contact. He started making more hard contact last year because he got a little older and a little stronger. So it's another guy. He's not eligible for my list. He lost his rookie status, but another guy I'm a believer in. I think he'll, be, he'll do more this year. You will see more production from him if he's given the playing time. It's interesting, Keith, because the Cardinals had a wave of position players that came up, many of which weren't really necessarily defensively what you were looking for. But offensively, you, you saw what the bat profiled as. And you're like, that's going to get them into their lineup. And now you see it with Mason Wynn and Victor Scott, who's coming up in center field. It's like, OK, well, the, the defense is what's going to keep them in the lineup. And you hope that the bat progresses. I did want to ask you about Victor Scott, because he's like tailor made for me. I love athletic <laughs> defensive center fielders with a ability on the bases and he certainly has all of those things how unique is this profile though for you as a scout when it comes to guys coming up through the minor leagues right now so god i don't remember who i was talking to it might have been bernie mickless the other day actually where i said when people started popping up about hey cardinals had this 80 runner who's having this great season i was like okay yeah i've heard these before right I re- i'm old enough to remember joey Gathright. there are plenty i remember terrence gore being an 80 runner is fun. Like, it's really exciting to see a guy like that. But that is so far down the list in terms of the stuff that matters, right? If you can't hit, I don't care how fast you run. And Billy Hamilton, that was basically his whole career. He's never strong enough and never really hit. He had a nice career because he was so fast and he could play defense. Uh, God is not like that. And I talked to some people during the season. I saw him once in the Futures game. I really got to see him more in, in the fall league. And that was a a reaction for me to just physically to see him he's stronger than he's getting credit for. He's impacting the ball better. It's a good swing. Talk to some of the Cardinals people, talk to TC uh, Calhoun who drafted him too. And he talked about the physical changes and work that Scott has done. If you look at Scott's minor league uh, college numbers, he was not good. There's nothing in his college stats that says this guy's going to be a top 100 prospect at some point. He's really changed his body, changed his approach to become a very different player. So it's, you know, it's not going to be power, but he hits the ball hard enough that he can play every day. And then you're talking 80 run, and he might end up an 80 defender. For folks who don't know, 80 is the best grade we give him, that scouting scale. So I'm saying elite run, elite defense in center, and a guy who puts the ball in play enough with hard enough contact for the bat to, to play so that those other, the value of his other tools will start to show up because his bat keeps him in the lineup. And Keith, how, how how much more seasoning do you think he needs in the minor leagues? How when do you think a good ETA is from when we could see Scott here at the major league level? Well, you know the little comparisons. Older, obviously, he'll be twenty three. He'll be twenty three on Monday, actually. Where he is, you know, it's a different career path than Mason Wynn, but they're similar in that you know they've both got these carrying tools to get them to the majors. Um, 
you know, seeing Scott, honestly, what I would do, even though he only had about a half season in AAA, uh, sorry, in AA, if he's inclined and looks good in spring training, I might challenge him immediately with AAA because you know the legs and the defense are going to play in the majors. You can put him in the majors right now. He'd be fine. Uh, what you want to do is see what happens now as he's facing better quality pitching. Because obviously when you go to AAA, some of the guys you face have pitched in the majors before. It's a mixed bag, but you want to see if he can continue to make contact. He's always been a low walk, low strikeout guy. I can live with that. You can hope the walks come up because he has feel to at least control the strike zone. I would want to see what it looks like in AAA for a couple of months. And then at that point, especially if, you know, Cardinals have a bunch of outfielders who've underperformed so far. Dylan Carlson, who I've, always been a fan of but if he doesn't get better he, you know he's out at that point you have to say we're going to move you aside to give victor scott a chance and i would understand that decision even though i've been a longtime supporter of carlson because he hasn't he hasn't progressed since that first full year Keith Law is our guest here on 101 ESPN. You can read his work over at The Athletic. That's where you'll find his ranking of the top 100 prospects in Major League Baseball. Victor Scott, who we're talking about right now, is at number 55 on that list. Keith, I, I don't know if, you're, if you've got this cataloged like in the back of your mind, but can you think of recent 80-grade runners and defenders that you've had on your scouting scale? Like, Who, who are the comparisons for what we're talking about right now with, with Victor well, Scott? Yeah, the easy one's Byron Buxton, right? He is one of the fastest players I have ever seen in my life. Um, Billy Hamilton's always my answer for the fastest. He's the, Hamilton's the fastest I've ever personally clocked with a stopwatch and seen him. I mean, he just he does things where you think he's violating laws of physics. It's just absurd. Um, Buxton is a good example, though, of a guy who's an 80 runner, and he is. When he's healthy and able to play, he's an 80 defender. And he says he wants to play center this year. I really hope he gets back out there. Um, he just can't stay healthy. But Buxton has other skills he's got power Now he never really got the command of the strike zone that would have made him a superstar uh but he was that kind of player at one point i think he was number one on my overall prospect list so they do they pop up every now and then but we get a lot of those guys they you know we joke they're track stars and this isn't track right being an 80 runner is wonderful but it's it it, just being able to steal more bases it's a small part of the game it's not big value if you're that fast you can deliver more value through your defense or if you're putting a lot of balls in play like into the gaps where you can add an extra base or two. Uh, I'll throw one more. You know, Carl Crawford, before his body kind of went on him, he was probably an 80 runner too. And I thought he was going to be a, like an all-time superstar. I saw him at 20 and thought, Jesus, this is we don't get athletes like this in baseball. Um, he just didn't take care of himself. He didn't follow through and, you know, obviously got to his late twenties and got paid. And that was kind of the end of it, but his son's in the Philly system now. And guess who's also an 80 runner and looks like he's going to be some kind of athlete. So I do, you know, I remember these guys when they've got a second tool, it can't 80 run and nothing else is not interesting. 80 run and literally anything else. Okay. Now you have my attention. Keith, I want to go over to the pitching side for the Cardinals prospects. Mm -hmm. And in your top 100, you got Tinkins at number 73. When we talk about Tinkins, I feel like he's kind of supposed to be the quote-unquote savior, if you will, supposed to be the future ace for the Cardinals, the guy that they're developing into that role. Do you think that that can be his ceiling? Can he get to that moniker for the Cardinals at some point in his career to be a guy that could lead their rotation? I don't. I don't, and I like Tinkins, but I think that's asking too much of him. Uh, He has. They've been very, very careful with his workloads. He's a smaller guy. He missed most of 2021 with, I think it was shoulder soreness. He never had surgery or anything. But this is a guy who's he's thrown really hard from a really young age. I think it's put some pressure on the arm. You know, fortunately, the the Cardinals haven't done anything wrong. I think they're trying their best to keep him healthy. But I find it very hard to picture someone 
his size, who's had a little bit of arm stuff, whose arm is that fast, holding up and becoming like a 200 inning, which is about as much as anybody throws anymore, top of the rotation guy. I think it's more likely he's someone who pitches a lower innings total at a really high level. Now, I don't know whether you'd call that a two or a three, but I'm thinking of a guy whose ERA is better than league average, but he throws 150 innings because you've got to give him some time off or he doesn't work as deep into starts. I, I, and I say that again, I love Tank Hens, and he's super fun to watch. Give me a guy with that kind of just arm speed, looseness, athleticism. I love it. They're super fun to watch. They're fun to scout. But he's got things he's still going to need to work on. And, of course, the less you pitch, the less opportunity you have to work on them. So it may also just take him a little more time because they are being very – they're being wise, prudent about how they're bringing along his workloads. Keith, the final question that I've got for you pertains to development of pitching in the minor leagues in general. I, I can go back to 2013 and look up the minor leagues. There were 71 different pitchers that threw at least 150 innings that season. And if you go to the minor leagues this past year and you look for guys that threw at least 150 innings, you might as well be looking for a dinosaur. I mean, there were some of them. It was like 15. (laughs) Yeah, like it's it basically doesn't exist. How is this sustainable? Like, is Major League Baseball going to be able to develop the guys that teams are clearly valuing at this point where they, they want the innings? But if you're developing people this way, can you continue operating that way at the big league level? Yeah, uh, I mean, that is, how much time do you have? That's <laughs> the question, and I'm not kidding. You want to come uh, some other time? We talk for 20 minutes just about this question. Please, absolutely. I have, a lot of fe- I have a lot of feelings on this one. I'll give you a short answer, which is that the, the problem we've run into is teams have gotten so adjusted to the twice through the order. And look, you know, that three times through the order penalty thing is real. Pitchers sure. are worse the third time through. There's no incentive for teams to develop guys or capable of going through an order three times when the rules in Major League Baseball, the roster rules and the pitching change rules say you can do this. You can do five and dive, right, five innings and you're out, and then the bullpen takes the last 12 outs. That's completely fine, and it may be a better strategy for winning games. It's not very pleasant to watch, honestly, as somebody who watches baseball a lot. I I love seeing guys work deeper into games. I want to see them do that and I hope there are some teams out there that still push it a little bit they're like we want to build our guys up to go seven innings to go three times through the order and then if we don't ask them to do that every time in the majors that's fine but at least we've built them up and taught them more about pitching I think when you have to face a hitter three times you learn something you have to come up with different ways to get the same hitter out multiple times and I think we're losing that because teams so few teams do still ask their minor league their real pitching prospects to turn a lineup over three times, to go 24, 25 batters in and out. Well, Keith, if you want to watch 2013 baseball, just come watch the 2024 Cardinals with us this year. Uh, They've got Lance Land, they've got Kyle Gibson, they've got Miles Michaelis. They've got a lot of guys that they're going to be asking to throw some innings for them. We'll we'll see how it goes. Dizzy Dean, get them all back. That's right. (laughs) Bring everybody back. Hey, Keith, it's always great catching up, man. Thanks so much for some insight into the Cardinals minor leaguers. We'll talk with you again soon. We'll have that 20-minute discussion about uh, the the development of pitchers. I'd be curious to (laughs) hear your extended thoughts. Absolutely. I look forward to it. You got it. That's Keith Law, one of the best in the business. Always appreciate his time. Baseball writer for The Athletic. That's where you can find his prospect list of the top 100 prospects in Major League Baseball. I want to continue on a thought of that conversation on the other side, T-Bone, because I think we're seeing that the Cardinals at the big league level, they value the innings. Are they going to apply that to their minor league development this season? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Keyball's not like the favorite person for most of the Cardinals fans here what? in St. Louis. I understand it. I get it. There's the whole Adam Wainwright vote. I'm not even telling you, telling you that you're wrong to hold that against him. However, I think his information is really good. He's been scouting for 25 years, and he has some really excellent insight into the Cardinals prospects. So if you missed any of our conversation with him, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. And to level things out, a guy that you guys don't like as much, a guy that you do like, Xavier Scruggs will join us coming up in less than 10 minutes here on BK and Ferrario. Everybody likes Xavier Scruggs. Shoot we'll talk for a wash today. about Ollie Marmol and his conversation with Harrison Bader as well. And what are his expectations for this 2024 Cardinals team? We'll get into all of that here in just a moment. But our conversation with Keith Law presented me with something that I found to be a little interesting, T-Bone, because he said, hey, I, I don't know that teams can sustain this. What they're doing with minor league pitchers where they're not facing the third time through, it doesn't make any sense to him. Yeah, it makes it easier for you to win games, but is the goal really at the minor league level to win or is it to develop players? I always have leaned more towards the development side. Now, if the development leads to winning, that is the ideal scenario. You want your developments to occur in situations where you're also trying to win, but not at the cost of developing a potential starter. We're five years down the road. That system is supposed to support your major league team. And the best way in my mind to do that is by teaching these kids how to fail, man. Think of the times that you've learned something in your life. There's a pretty good chance it came out of failure. You learn a lot more from failures than you do from the, the positives in life, right? I, I have had plenty of failures in my life, and those experiences have, for better or worse, groomed me into the person that I am today. If you're not allowing these guys to fail, if you're just letting them go through two times and you're like, hey, don't go out there the third because it might be bad for you, well, then how are they supposed to learn, right? How are you supposed to learn what it looks like that third time through if things do go well for you? It, it's impossible. So... I would be curious for the Cardinals, especially a team that has shown now at the major league level, they value innings. They want Miles Michaelis to face the third time through. They want this year, Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson to go that third time through the order. Are they going to allow their young players to also experience that? 
Or are they going to continue doing things the way that they have over you know the last 10 years? And this is not just them. It's all of Major League Baseball. That is something that I think we should be paying attention to throughout this season at the minor league level. Yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to keep track of this year and then what happens if this year is successful. You know, if, if this formula works, as we've talked about, the Cardinals are kind of zigging while everybody else is zagging. Everybody else is going towards the five and dive, even a six-man rotation. Look at the L.A. Dodgers, for example. While the Cardinals are saying, here's our five guys – Four of these five guys, our hope is probably eat a hundred or three of the four, three of the five. I'd say eat 180 plus innings. Well, you got Sonny Gray, you'd hope for 180, but realistically 160. I, if this works, if this formula works, like hey, our starter's going to go deeper, which then shortens our bullpen. I could see where the Cardinals then really start to implement this throughout the minor league system, to where you have a McGreevy, a Graceffo, a Tink Hintz, a uh, TK Roby, who are now deciding, hey. Instead of just pulling these guys out after the second time through the order or when they get to, like, 75 pitches, let's push them a little harder. Let's push them so when they do get up here, to your point, yeah, they they know what it's like. I mean, look at Matthew Libertor. I I think there's some of this on the player in Matthew Libertor and some of this on the St. Louis Cardinals, but we talk about his velo dipping during starts. Why is that? Because he's kind of pushing himself too hard early on. He doesn't know how to sustain it. He doesn't know how to go five-plus innings and maintain a fastball while also throwing the curveball. And that's a little bit on development. That's a little bit on the player. It, I think this is the year that if this works, this zigging that the Cardinals are doing in their rotation, I think it is something to keep an eye on is maybe they try and implement this more in their minor league system. There were three pitchers in the entire minor leagues, AAA, AA, single A, anywhere, that threw at least 150 innings last year. Three in the entire minor league system. There were 71 in 2013. Ten years ago, 71 pitchers at the minor league level pitched at least 150 innings. And this past season, there were three. For what it's worth, one of those three was Michael McGreevy, who pitched 153 innings. So maybe he becomes something for you at the major league level eventually. It's going to be that classic, like, Jake Woodford, Dakota Hudson, pitch to contact type of profile. But at least he's throwing innings down there, man. And I I can't say that about really anybody else. It seems like the only system that's actually developing these guys to throw pitches is the New York Yankees. They have two of the top three in innings from this past year. Everybody else is just like, hey, give me 120 innings. We'll call it a day and see what it looks like for you in the upcoming season. Coming up next, Xavier Scruggs. He was able to sit down with Ollie Marmel and Harrison Bader over the last couple of weeks. Talked to Bader about what it was like to come through the Cardinal system. Talked to Ollie Marmel about what it's like to face so much pressure heading into 2024. We'll get Xavier Scruggs' impressions from both the player and the manager coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. is doing excellent work on his YouTube page. If you want to check out his new show, it's called Show and Go with X. In the past couple of weeks, he's been able to sit down with Cardinals manager Ollie Marmel and former Cardinals center fielder Harrison Bader, one of my personal favorite players to both watch and hear interviewed. Xavier Scruggs of ESPN and MLB Network and, of course, Show and Go with X joins us now here on BK and Ferrario. Xavier, we appreciate the time as always, man. How are you doing today? Yeah, you're doing good. I appreciate you guys having me. Absolutely. We're thrilled to have you. So let's start with your interview that you were able to sit down and have with Ollie Marmol, Xavier. This is a big season for him. It's a big season, of course, for the Cardinals. And you were able to get through what I thought were some legitimately intriguing questions with him. You asked him all of the stuff that we were curious about on the outside looking in. 
whether it was what you were able to actually get for air or some of the conversations I'm sure that you had with him behind the scenes, what was your impression of the way that Ollie is going to be approaching this 2024 season? Yeah, I think he, well, first of all, thank you for the compliments. It was, it was a great interactive discussion to be able to sit down and, and learn a lot about kind of what he views um, coming into 2024. And a lot of that um, is, is change for me. Like the, that's what I got from a lot of our conversation is just this idea that um, with some roster changes, he feels like he has more flexibility uh, to do a lot more now with some new starting pitching coming in. And I think that was ultimately one of the biggest question marks from last year, because if you don't have guys going, you know, four or five innings and they're being removed early from the game, that hurts the bullpen, that hurts the offense. They feel like they have more pressure on them. So, I mean, I just feel like he knows that there's change that has to come from him and the way that he approaches games. But I think that also he feels like he's more suited with the roster coming into this season and he feels like guys will bounce back as well and you have a couple of young players that seem to be impact players as well that I think that all um, represents a good opportunity for the Cardinals this year. And Xavier, we, we, we talk about the Cardinals, and we talk about, you mentioned some of the starters that they brought in. They brought in a Matt Carpenter as well, a veteran player. And you talked to Ali about leadership and leading the St. Louis Cardinals. When you are a former, you're a former player, you were in that Cardinals clubhouse, and you talk about the importance of leadership. How important is that behind the scenes? Because we've seen all the veterans that they've brought in to try and improve this leadership group. Yeah, I mean, that's that's monumental, right? You, it's, it's something that can't really be quantified when you look at statistics. But a lot of times, just from knowing and being in the clubhouse, there are certain guys that have an effect on other players that just bring out the best in them. And sometimes it's not always the manager. It's not always coaches. A lot of times it's it's the players that are on the field and the guys that you do bring in and the culture that you do cultivate and that was something that I was able to talk to uh, Ali a lot about is culture and how having tough conversations with players is something that w- needs to be done and something that has been, um, has been done in the past, but now you approach it a little bit differently with younger players, a Jordan Walker who's going to have huge impact on this team, but having tough conversations with him. Same thing with Mason Wynn, who will be learning along this process but I think when you think about leadership and guys with experience, I, I think of Sonny Gray, right? A, another guy that's won before and he's had ups and downs in his career, but has been finding out how to be successful even on the second part of his career. Um, the same thing with Kyle Gibson and Lance Lynn. Like those guys are going to be so important when you talk about cultivating the right culture within that clubhouse. And that's so important when guys have left like an Adam Wainwright and a Yadier Molina and even Pujols as of recent. Xavier Scruggs joining us here on 101 ESPN. Xavier, when you think about those players that you just mentioned, Yachty, Wayno, Albert, you can go back further, whether it be Ozzie Smith or Bob Gibson. like the, the best players for the Cardinals have been their best leaders inside of that clubhouse as well. They've been guys that are not afraid to hold players accountable. They lead by example. They do all of the things that you're looking for from leadership. I am curious for you, for a guy that's been inside of those rooms before, how important is that, that your best players are your best leaders? Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of times we look towards guys that, you know, are putting up the big numbers or producing, and, and we expect them to be leaders. But a lot of times that is not necessarily the case, especially from a vocal standpoint. 
Um, a lot of times you'll see those guys who put up numbers are some of the quietest guys in the room, and you can just see them leading by example, and that's important. But I also think it's really important that young guys feel the opportunity to lead when they have those, those chances. And I think it's going to be important with this team moving forward as they look to create their own identity. Um, you know, it, and maybe the, it's not necessarily young is the right word, but I look at, you know, guys like Brendan Donovan, who, who will need to continue to step up and be in a leadership role. I even look at, uh, you know, when you look behind the plate in a, in a Wilson Contreras coming over recently, he's not an established Cardinal for a long period of time, but that leadership is just as important. So it's not necessarily the guys that are always the, the top player or the top producer, but I think sometimes it can even be guys that have been there the least amount of time, but still have the ability to lead. Cause there's guys that have the ability to lead that aren't necessarily the top producers as well. Hey, Xavier, I also loved your interview with Harrison Bader that you did, the former St. Louis Cardinals center fielder, now New York Med. And one thing that he talked about that I, I found interesting, I'm curious from kind of a former player's perspective, is he talked about defense and how defense never slumps and how when you look back at that 2021 team, how he trusted everybody that was around there and how good that team was in the – I think they had five gold gloves on that roster. When you think of that from like a pitcher's perspective as well, what, do pitchers kind of get a sense of that as well to where like last year, the Cardinals, defensively were not very good, and then the pitchers, do they lose a little bit of faith in that defense when the defense struggles? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say so much faith, but I would say it would be losing a little bit of, um, you know, the, the most confidence that you would normally have in them, right? And, and maybe that mentally affects a pitcher by just putting a little bit too much pressure on themselves. But I think that Harrison Bader sitting down and talking with him on, on my show, I realized that there's an offensive approach that he brings to the defensive side. There's, there's an aggressiveness that comes along with a mentality of, I want the ball. I, I don't care if I have five gold glove defenders around me. I want to be the one that makes the out. And I think that's got to be a mentality that's, you know, just as important with the foundation of, of this Cardinals team, right? Like, we know that we have great defenders on the corners, but now it's about everybody having that same mentality of, of being aggressive towards wanting to make the outs. And then when you have that aggressiveness, along with that needs to be the consistency of the fundamentals. And I think that's what the Cardinals lost a little bit of last year is just the fun to, fundamental aspect of making the routine plays. And I'm sure that's something – that, that it will be a priority of, of this year for Oliver Marmo. Xavier Scruggs joining us for just another couple of minutes here on BK and Ferrario. Xavier, when you look at this National League, we, we've been talking about some of the projections that have come out over the last couple of days. Fangraphs had theirs. Pakoda had them. Everybody's doing this right around this time of the year as we get closer to spring training. And they all kind of say the same thing. Atlanta and L.A. are amazing. And then there's everybody else, like the other 10 teams that are in this muddled middle in the National League. How do you view the Cardinals relative to that middle in the National League? Do you view them towards the top of it, the bottom? Of, how do you view this team heading into 2024? Yeah, I view it with an opportunity to win the division. I, I mean, I, I expect guys to have some bounce back seasons, but I also look at the Brewers who take a, a step back from, you know, not having an ace anymore and a Corbin Burns. I think you take advantage of that. I think you look at some question marks with some of the other teams um, yes, there will be teams that will look to be at the top, like the Cincinnati Reds as well will be uh, obviously in that mix. Um, but, but I also think about 
you can't discount any other teams, but you can look at yourselves and say, we have an opportunity to be much better than we were last year. There's a reason why the Cardinals organization is a staple for winning. And I think if they find a way to get back to that, which I think a lot of it stems from starting pitching, which they went and and did some things, it may not be what everybody wanted to see as far as like extreme impact, but I look at it's important to get innings. And that may be something that some of the other teams that we look at in the division could possibly be missing moving into 2024. Um, and I even look at the Cubs. They're still looking to possibly go get an ace. Yes, Justin Steele was good last year, and they brought in Shota Imanaga, but I still, I still almost trust this Cardinals rotation better than I would that rotation at this point. Xavier, how do you feel about their offense as well? That's something we get questions about a lot here in St. Louis. A lot of people not as high on the offense as we are on this show. Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to discount what guys have done in the past. Now, obviously, last year wasn't necessarily the best year, but I also look at if you expect guys like a Nolan Arenado and a Paul Goldschmidt to get off to the starts that they normally do, um, and, and they're not always playing catch-up, I think you look at a different type of offensive team. I look at Jordan Walker another year under his belt. Probably more power develops there. Um, I, I think that's that's going to be just as important. Uh, but mostly to me, I look at guys with another year of understanding, even a, a, an example of Wilson Contreras. He started off extremely rough last year. Guys realizing, okay, we don't have the opportunity to have these slower starts. If they put it together early, I think you see this team taking off. Xavier, final thing for me, and we appreciate the time. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. You can watch him on Show and Go with X. You can follow him on Twitter at Xavier Scruggs, X-A-V-I-E-R underscore Scruggs over on Twitter. If you have one bold prediction, maybe a guy that you think is going to outperform expectations, maybe it's just a team-wide expectation for you, one bold prediction for the St. Louis Cardinals heading into 2024, what would that be for you, Xavier? Dang, a bold prediction? Okay. Um, I like this. I like this. A bold prediction. You know what? This may not be that bold, but Mason Wynn goes and wins the rookie of the year on the National League side. Like, I think if, if the Cardinals do everything that they're capable of doing and you have your, your main dudes banging in the middle of the order producing, I think Mason Wynn gets an opportunity to show off his offensive side and as well the defensive side. But I think you're talking about a bat that has an opportunity to make some noise with the guys around him. So Mason Wynn, Rookie of the Year. You're speaking to the right show on that one, Xavier. We've been talking a lot about Mason Wynn over the last couple of days, a player that we are certainly excited to watch uh, heading into 2024. Hey, man, thanks so much for hopping on with us. We appreciate the time, as always. We're always watching what you're doing over there, whether it's on ESPN, on MLB Network Radio, and certainly with Show and Go. Great work over there. We'll talk with you again soon, my friend. I appreciate you guys. Keep up the good work. Talk soon. Absolutely. That's Xavier Scruggs joining us here on 101 ESPN. Appreciate his time as always. If you had to give one bold prediction for 2024, T-Bone, I'm putting you on the spot here. We have done exactly zero preparation for this question. What would it be? Uh, I would say. By the well, way, I liked I like Scruggs' version of this. Of Mason Winwood yeah. and Rookie of the Year. Like yeah, I knew that would pull at your heartstrings. I would say Nolan Gorman hits 40 bombs. Ooh. That he stays healthy, puts it all together, and you see that Kyle Schwarber-esque power. I would say that Jordan Walker is the best hitter on the team by the end of the season. That would be my quote-unquote bold prediction. I don't know if that's, like, spicy enough. Like, on a scale of, like, one to the the ghost pepper, I I don't know where that falls. 
Um, but I, I would say that's my bold prediction for 2024. I'm, I'm very much buying into the Jordan Walker hype this year. Another one when you immediately asked me that, that I kind of thought about, and I was like, ah, it's probably too soon for this, would be Herrera wins the starting Ooh. catching job at some point. You've been talking about that for a hot minute. Yeah. I, he's tearing the cover off the ball in the, uh, what is the, why am I drawing a blank on it? The series that's being played right now. Caribbean in Miami, series. The Caribbean series. He's been tearing the cover off the ball. What do you do? I, this is a question that I've been thinking about a little bit as I've been seeing some of the numbers that he's putting up. It, it's ridiculous what he's doing right now. <laughs> it, if Avon Herrera does become your starting catcher, then what? Like you've got a you've got an eighty five million dollar man who's now at DH, which is like not inherently a problem. There's got there's teams that have paid more than that for a Jay designated Martinez hitter. Get more than that. But if Wilson Contreras is primarily at DH, it means there's fewer opportunities there for Nolan Gorman. There's less opportunity there for days off for Goldie or Arenado or Jordan Walker, which, again, I, I'm not necessarily opposed to, but it's not the way that this team has operated in the past. It, it does complicate some things. It's a good problem to have, I suppose. But if Yvonne Herrera takes that job over, it's, it prevent, presents some other decisions that the team has to make sooner rather than later. Yeah, and, and I, I say that not just because I'm – think the bat could carry him I think because if he's better defensively the Cardinals have talked about getting better defensively this year to help out their pitching I could see that being the case I I think if if you're winning when this happens say it's like July and this occurs and you're in the NL Central race that's when they what they should do I don't know if they would do it that's when they start to say okay if we have Contreras at DH we've got Herrera catcher somebody in that middle there Donovan or Gorman is being blocked from that DH spot there's your number one trade chip going into the deadline where you hopefully try and go and get that number two starter that then puts you back into that conversation. Now, will they do that? Call me skeptical because they continue to kick the can down the road. But I, I think the reason I didn't throw that out there originally is because I think we're probably a year away from that. I agree. But I, I could see a, a scenario where if he is playing well and he's better defensively than Wills Contreras, I, I could see where maybe they do kind of kick the tires on it. And instead of it being like where he gets the day game in a three-game set – Maybe there's times where we see him start two of three games, or maybe he starts a series behind the plate just because they like the defense that he can provide. He's Tanner Hendrickson. That's Bradford Browns. I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed any of our conversation with either Xavier Scruggs or Keith Law, you can check those out on the podcast page after the show today. 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. Those are presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. You guys can also watch us on YouTube. YouTube.com slash 101ESPNSTL. That's where you can go over, get involved in the chat. They like to call themselves the graveyard over there. Used to be dead. It is very much alive as of today. So YouTube.com slash 101ESPNSTL. It's another way for you guys to stay involved in the show. But coming up next, we got to dive into the junk drawer, a nationally prominent radio show. Had a problem yesterday that we've dealt with here on our show. We'll discuss it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Right, it's time to dive into the juncture. So we've all been there, right? We've all made the mistake of butt dialing somebody or trying to text your buddy Alex and it goes to the wrong Alex. Or maybe it's the uh, the college thing where you were trying to call one one girl to go out and you ended up calling another. We've all been there. I've I get been it. There. Right? Unfortunately, for one nationally prominent radio show, it wasn't any of those things. It was getting a PR campaign from an individual by the name of Randy Moss. They were going to have this guy on, wow, you know. what a get. Former NFL wide receiver, 
one of the best to ever do it. I'd be curious his thoughts on, you know, the Bill Belichick run that is now coming to an end. What looking back at the 07 Patriots, that dynasty that existed, comparing it to the current Chiefs dynasty. Like, there's a lot that I could get into with one Randy Moss. As a producer, that get is like Christmas. Yeah, you can't ask for a whole lot more. Well, Boomer and Geo were expecting to have Randy Moss, the former NFL wide receiver, the Hall of Famer, on their show this week at Super Bowl Radio Row. And then this happened. What is Randy Moss promoting, by the way, Al? Do you, do you know? It's something having to do with horse racing. Really? He's very into horse racing. Are, are you sure this is the right? This the Yeah. Not this the other Randy, Randy Moss, Moss. The wide receiver, not Randy. Is there another Randy yes. Moss? There's a, uh-oh. There's an announcer, panic. Randy Moss. Who is into horse who racing. Who is into horse racing. Please tell me that's fake. Just wanted to check to see if you would be interested in... Current NBC Sports broadcaster and former NFL Network broadcaster and reporter. That's right. That's you booked the white Randy Moss. Oh my God! You idiots! First of all, that is like I was thinking like there's no way Randy Moss is coming here. (laughs) No wonder they were so excited too. The the person was like, Oh no, he will definitely be there. I wonder how many people have this Randy Moss booked, thinking they're going to get number 84. It happened here, here on this station. So Bernie used to get Randy Moss, this Randy Moss, in in their words, the white Randy Moss, on the morning show to talk horse racing all the time. They used to go back and forth, buddy, buddy. The fast lane, though, did not mean to call this version of Randy Moss. They thought they were getting the pro football Hall of Fame wide receiver Randy Moss. I think it was also Super Bowl week or championship weekend, something like that. And so they get Randy Moss on, and Randy's excited. It was BT with him at the time. I listened to the interview earlier today. They ended up actually having him on, <laughs> but they did it not with the understanding that he was at that point the Hall of Fame wide receiver, Randy Moss. They just did like a super disappointed, like scolding my child, Brad <laughs> Barnes version of Randy Moss, where it was like, I guess we got to have this guy on. What are we going to do? Just cancel the interview? So they didn't cancel it. They did in New York on the the Geo and Boomer show. They decided, we're not doing that. We are not having that guy on our station. We have also had our run-in with a uh, a mistaken guest. Now, ours wasn't necessarily like Randy Moss versus Randy Moss, same name, different guy. Well, it kind of was, actually. Ours was Ryan Braun versus Ryan Braun, except our Ryan Braun that we got on had nothing to do with radio, with television, with sports. He was a doctor. So he had his friend call in, and here's what it sounded like. Former Brewers outfielder, five-time Silver Slugger, six-time All-Star, and he joins us via the Brownie and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Ryan, sincere thanks for joining us today. How you doing, man? Oh, wow. Hey, good. What have you been up to while while the start of the season has been taking place? Golf. Lots of golf. (laughs) Okay, how good's the golf game then, Ryan? I got to know. What's that? I said, how good's the golf game? I got to know. You know, average at best. <laughs> Where are you at right now in your thought process of playing this year? Not really sure. Just kind of focused on golf, you know, golfing. So, Ryan, I'm curious, though, because I know that you got to call some games at spring training this year for the Milwaukee broadcasts. Have you, did you enjoy that? Have you thought about doing that side of it once your playing career is over? I mean, I, you know, um, perhaps, but trying to see it high and let it fly right now boys ah, there's the quote i have a feeling this might not be ryan <laughs> braun guys oh yeah I have a feeling this might be not be ryan braun so he 
He played us here. I have a feeling this might not be right. He hung up right about I now. I think we might have gotten punked. Did we get punked on the air? I think we might have just gotten punked. I've, I, I, like, listening back to that, my skin is crawling. Oh, I find it hilarious. Oh. <laughs> Alex asked that final question. I had already at that point kind of figured out in my mind, oh, God, this is not going the direction that we thought. And for people that are wondering, like, why the hell did you guys have Ryan Braun on? Fair question. Uh, this was at the beginning of the year, and we were talking about getting a bat that the Cardinals needed in the outfield. Ryan Braun seemed to make a lot of sense. And so we're like, hey, you know Milwaukee. what? Let's reach out to the guy that every Cardinals fan hates to see if he would be interested in joining the Cardinals. So we decided to go ahead and do the investigative reporting that you can only get right here on BK and Ferrario. Unfortunately, during our reporting. investigation, we uncovered the wrong phone number. He then sent us, he said, he told T-Bone, yeah. hey, uh, I'm going to use my other phone. Fair. There are players that have multiple phones. So call me at this number. So we did. And that's what ended up taking place. I, oh, my skin legitimately crawls listening back to that once again. Happens to the best of us. <laughs> I, I still, I'll, I'll never forget. Like, I think after the second, when he s said the golf one again, I was like, I remember talking back, because you guys were at Centene when this happened. You guys were at Centene. Yep. I was alone here in the studio. And I'll never forget, I held down our talkback button to, that talks to our executive producer, Mike Ryan, and I went, I'm not sure this is Ryan Brown. He went, really? And then next thing you know, you guys discover it, and then I'll never forget the fast lane coming in and going, so how is Ryan Brown today, guys? <laughs> oh, you know, he's been golfing a lot, guys. So somebody on the text line brought this up. I had forgot about this one. Ryder, do you remember when the Fastlane was supposed to have one of the Bulls players on? They interviewed him as that Bulls player, but it actually ended up being a different Bulls player. This was in the middle of the pandemic. Weird, we're doing weird stuff on the show. We were like breaking down that Jordan documentary, The Last Dance, as if it was like a live sports TV broadcast. That was the thing. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's all we had, right? So you, you go with what you got. That was the thing. So we went with it. And so the fast lane was like really diving into it. They're getting into the nitty gritty. I don't remember who the players were. I'd have to go back and re-listen to it. Bill Winnington versus Bill Cartwright was apparently <laughs> the two guys. And they interviewed one of them as if he was the other guy. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he answered the questions in the form, it was like a role play situation where like both sides didn't want to acknowledge, oh no. <laughs> that we're talking to the wrong person. We're definitely talking to the wrong individual here. So uh, we're not the only one that has had these kinds of mistakes. I just want you guys I to know we're in good company. The Fastlane has done this not once, but multiple times <laughs> with multiple different iterations of the show, by the way. The one that I'm talking about was, I believe... Who was with Randy at that point? I think it was Randy. There was a couple other changes that had already been made. Might have even been Stolter at that point. Um, and then when we did it, we did uh, Randy and there. You know Gio. what? I just feel better that alone. a major market in New York can have these kind of screw-ups. You know? Yeah. It makes me feel that I could still get to New York if I wanted to. You know? That That's even right. though I booked the fake Ryan Braun, the doctor, at least it, it happened. Ronge was the one that screwed it up. That's right. Uh, Ron screwed it up with them. Barnes screwed it up with Randy Moss, and then the producers for uh, for Geo and Boomer was the ones that uh, that did it tough. up in New York. And T Bone uh, takes full credit, full blame. No, I do not. I, I just texted the number I received <laughs> from one Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, is this Cardinals offense good enough to carry the team in 2024? I seem to believe that it is. I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb and say that our text line three one four three nine 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 six four six does not view it that way. We'll discuss it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
got some news in Major League Baseball, specifically for your St. Louis Cardinals. We don't need the breaking news on this, Bradford. It's not that big of a story, but something Whoa. that I was paying attention to. Guillermo Zuniga, the guy that we all fell in love with at the World Baseball Classic this time last year. He has been traded to the LA Angels in exchange for cash considerations. In other words, the Cardinals said, ah, here, clear that roster spot for us. You can go ahead and have them out in LA. T-Bone, there was a big story that took place here in St. Louis last week when two weeks ago, maybe it was at this point, the Cardinals decided to DFA little poppy in the words of Alex Ferrario. And when they did so, I, I'm talking about Moises Gomez for those that aren't familiar. There were a lot of Cardinals fans that were furious and were like, oh, this is the next version of Randy Rosarino or Dallas Garcia. No, no, it's it's very likely not going to be that. T-Bone, you know how I know it's not the next version of Randy A or Adolis Garcia? Nobody picked him up. Is he still in Memphis? He got outrighted to Memphis. The Cardinals still have Sweet. this guy in their organization. They just don't have to carry him on the 40, man. The entire league could have had him for free. For free, nothing. It costs them nothing other than a roster spot. Do you know how many terrible 40-man rosters there are? Do you know how many guys that have no chance of playing Major League Baseball this season are on 40-man rosters across yeah, the league? Looking at a lot on the Cardinals right now. And yeah, like the, the Oakland A's were like, yeah, nah, we don't want him. We don't know where we're playing in 2024 or beyond. We have a bunch of dudes that you have never heard of playing for us this year. But that guy, Moises Gomez, who had 39 home runs in AAA in 2022, we don't want him. We got no spot for that guy on our roster. So maybe the Cardinals weren't as wrong on Moises Gomez as Cardinals fans were. Some Cardinals fans were leading you, you to believe. This is the If there is a move that is likely to come back to haunt the Cardinals, I don't think it's like a, a he's, this guy isn't going to be a closer or anything, but they do need relievers. And they essentially just released a guy from their roster on their 40-man that I think has a real chance to be like a major league capacity reliever in 2024. So if you want to get mad at a move, I think this is actually the one to be upset about when they still have on their 40-man roster guys like Michael Ciani and Jared Young and Jose Fermin. And Luke and Baker. Th those guys, I believe, have less of a role on the 2024 Cardinals than what Zuniga could have had, but... That's that's where we're at. That's the news right now for the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, I, I was surprised when they decided to DFA Zuniga. And look, I get it. I mean, you look at his minor league stats from last year. Terrible. Whew, it was bad. Um, but I, I thought for sure, based on what you saw from, as you mentioned, the World Baseball Classic, where you, I think he mowed through his Goldie, Trout, and Arnato, if I remember correctly. Struck out all three of those guys and looked just unbelievable. I thought they wouldn't give up on that stuff that quickly, especially because you're right. They've been looking for bullpen arms. He would be one of those that could ride the train between Memphis or the shuttle between Memphis and St. Louis. So I was a little surprised that they just kind of gave up on him and just kind of let him go and now traded him to the LA Angels for cash. Because I, I, I thought a lot of those guys, I mean, those guys that you just mentioned, what is the role for, a, for me? Do you really need a defensive minded? second baseman on the 40-man roster. What is the role for Luke and Baker under the 2024 Cardinals? At least I could have seen a role for Zuniga being one of those guys that could ride the shuttle between Memphis and St. Louis. So you know what? I am I am upset about this, <laughs> and we didn't get enough cash for Zuniga. All right, so the other thing that I wanted to get to here was the Cardinals offense because you guys know I'm, I'm driving the hype train this year for the 2024 Cardinals offense. It's going to be different than it was last year. Mostly because of health. Um, I, I think the Cardinals actually were pretty good last year offensively. People make it out to be like they were some terrible offense. They weren't. They, they were erratic. They need to be more consistent in their performance, and they certainly need to drive in runs with runners in scoring position in a way that they just didn't early on last season. A lot of that goes back to, hey, really bad start for Nolan Arenado, and when you've got a cleanup hitter that's struggling the way that he did, 
You're not going to drive in runs the way that you really want to. But T-Bone heading into this season, I genuinely believe they have a chance to be similar to the 2013 St. Louis Cardinals. And that season, you had Yadier Molina, who had an OPS over 830. You had Alan Craig around that same range. Matt Carpenter finished the year batting 315. You had Matt Holiday hitting 300. A solid season out of John Jay. Good season, really good season out of Carlos Beltran. It was the start of the Matt Adams experience here in St. Louis as well. You had like seven dudes that you really trusted, liked having in your everyday lineup. I go through the Cardinals lineup heading into 2024, one through seven. They should be really strong. And it shouldn't matter if you're going up against a righty or a lefty. This should be the type of offense. I don't think it will be the best offense in baseball because I don't think they have the upside of a Dodgers or a Braves. I don't think they're there, even the Astros. I think the depth of this lineup, though, if you get beyond probably just the Astros, I think you could put their depth up against just about any other lineup one through seven. And I think I would probably lean towards the Cardinals heading into the season. Yeah, I really like the offense. Now, I can it carry them this season? The, the reason that I have a tough time of like just fully buying into that is because they're they're having to rely on this offense and an offense that has had guys deal with injuries. I mean, look at Nolan Arnato dealt with a bad back for most of last year. Nolan Gorman has the back of a 70-year-old. Mm. You look at Lars Newpar, and he's had, like, I don't view him as an injury-prone player, but I can't deny that he spent a lot of time on the IL the last two years. Um, so I look at the offense, and I say, yes, it should be what carries them this year. But there are some guys that we see, and I, I don't even think it's the erratic part that you had mentioned when you brought this up. I don't even so much as that that lineup one through seven's erratic. I think it's they deal with injuries erratically, which then kind of throws off everything offensively, and you all of a sudden have guys hitting where they don't need to be in the lineup. And that's when I think because they have so many question marks on the starting pitching side, that's where it makes me concerned, where if they start to deal with injuries, well, then you're just bleeped. You know, Now your offense is going to take a bit of a hit, and I don't think the pitching can then prop itself up to kind of carry the offense for a sustained stretch. So can the offense carry them? I would say yes, but I don't think it's a great spot to be in where you have to say this is what's going to carry us into the season, and it has to prop up our pitching. So I, I would say it can. It's good enough to prop them up and carry them throughout the regular season. Assuming health, we have to assume health. And, and the hard part is, like, what is more likely? You stay healthy in your lineup or you stay healthy in your rotation? The answer is the, rota- or the, the, answer is the lineup. So I went through yesterday. T-Bone, we were talking about this off-air after the show. How many different teams do you think in 2023, Bradford, I'll ask you this question because I already gave T-Bone the answer, so I'm I'm giving it away for him. But how many teams do you think going into last season had at least four starters that started 25 games for them? So I'm not even saying like 30 plus, four starters started 25 games or more for them. How many teams do you think were able to claim that this past season? Gosh, I would almost say under a handful, maximum six, five. A total of five in all of Major League Baseball. It was Texas, Washington. Uh, who were the other ones? Toronto, Seattle, and Minnesota. Those yeah. are the five teams. And this is not some great, st- like four starters, 25 or more starts for you. I'm expecting that out of four of the Cardinal starters going into the season. Like that is the bare bones necessity for them. So going into the year, you should probably expect one of the guys, whether it's Sonny Gray, Miles Michaelis, Kyle Gibson, or Lance Lynn, to get hurt and start like 20 games for you this year. And so you'll need 12 to 15 starts in that spot of your rotation from somebody like a Zach Thompson. 
And then if that ends up happening, you know Steven Matz is not starting 25 games for you this year. That's just not what he does. You're probably going to have to dip back into the minor league level, and maybe that ends up being Matthew Liberator. Maybe TK Roby's ready at that point in time. Like You're going to need the lineup to carry you at certain, at certain portions of this season, and I think they're capable, man. I think it needs to be as good as you were, though, in 2013 in order to do that. You can't have guys that slip in. You can't have guys that go into the season and – like Lars Newport, you got to play 140 games this year. This is yeah. the year that it has to happen. And if you don't, I, like the Cardinals are going to have to say that we can't trust him to start 140 games in the future. This is the year where you make that determination. Tommy Edmond, you got to be able to handle center field. Jordan Walker, we've got to be able to trust you in right field. Nolan Gorman, is the back issue something that's going to make you a DH every day? Or can you actually play the field for us on a regular basis? Arnado, Goldie, both have back issues. Can those guys actually go out there and not just be on the field? but be significant contributors, star-level players for 140 games for us this year. If you can't get that out of this team this season, then they're going to have to make some significant changes. I believe in them. I believe this roster is good enough position player-wise to be able to carry them through the regular season to get to 88, 90 wins. But this is the year where we actually got to see it. It's time to put up or shut up for this offense. Yeah, this is going to be the year. And I think an offense can kind of carry you through a regular season. But then I think your your ceiling is so limited in the postseason because we see it all the time. You start to face the best of the best when you're going up into the postseason, and that's when you see good offenses kind of get slowed down or shut down. And that's why, like, can they carry the Cardinals? I think they can in the regular season. Once they get to the postseason, though, I think their ceiling is so limited because I think you have to have elite pitching to be able to get through October and get to the World Series. And that's where I would say – yeah, that's where I think their ceiling kind of ends. I, maybe they can win a wild card game because anything can happen to best of three. Then the divisional round, I think it's going to be really hard to get past that without having elite pitching. And this is another reason why I would just go sign Blake Snell or would have traded for Chris Sale because you're going to have to fill those starts somewhere. And right now you don't really have an obvious answer internally to do that other than Zach Thompson, which is a fine answer, but he's certainly not somebody that I'm expected to be at the front end of the rotation. And if you like have a 10-game stretch, 10-start stretch, rather, for Sonny Gray where he's unavailable for you? Dude, I don't know what this rotation does. They're, they're screwed, and they need Sonny Gray to be healthy all season long. In 15 minutes, we're talking to Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues. Blues back in action this weekend coming off of the All-Star break. What is the one player that Chris Kerber has circled for the second half of the season that he's most curious to see what the Blues are able to get out of him? We'll get to that with Chris Kerber coming up in about 15 minutes or so. More likely to happen, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us two scenarios, we'll tell you which one's more likely here on 101. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line for more likely to happen. You give us a scenario, we will tell you which one is more likely here on 101 ESPN. T-Bone, more likely to happen. The Chicago Bears end up in the Super Bowl in the next five years, or the LA Chargers end up in the Super Bowl next year. Oh, I oh, that is a good one. Next year for the Chargers. I will say Bears get to the Super Bowl in the next five years because though I really like the hiring of Harbaugh, and I think he can get that roster where it should be, not five wins or whatever they had this year. 
getting through the AFC next year, you even with the Harbaugh. I know, I'm getting a little emotional. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Sorry, everybody. Um, I, I think I think when you look at the AFC, it's going to be really tough for me to say, even with Harbaugh and whatever they do this offseason, that they will be able to get through the AFC. So I will take the Bears and their chances through the next five years than I would the Chargers to get to the Super Bowl next year. Tanner, it's okay. It's okay because when I heard that Minter would be reuniting with Harbaugh in Los Angeles, I got emotional too. It hit me in the feels. It really did. I'm taking the Bears here because you're giving me a five-year window. And in that time, you could have Caleb Williams established as a new franchise quarterback. You could have a really terrific offense in place. I'm not sure as to how long Eberflus will actually be there at the helm but given the five-year window i'm sorry kansas city etc so many other threats in the afc it's not happening next year so i think people underestimate just how much changes in a five-year stretch in the nfl like five years ago the la rams went to the super bowl with jared goff todd Gurley, robert woods and brandon cooks great team that was five years ago all of those dudes are either out of the league or certainly not on the Rams at this point in time. Now, Jared Goff's still in the league, very much a significant piece of what the Lions are trying to build in Detroit, but things change quickly. And if you think about some of the teams that mattered this year in the AFC, for example, like uh, the Buffalo Bills five years ago weren't the same team as they are today. The Buffalo Bills five years ago went six and 10. Now they're consistently one of the most impressive and imposing teams in the AFC. The Kansas City Chiefs five years ago, it was year one of the Patrick Mahomes experience. That was a very different version of Patrick Mahomes and this Chiefs offense than what we're seeing right now. So I say all of that to say this, it's the Bears. I think the Bears five years from now, if they get the quarterback right, it really doesn't even matter who they end up having as their head coach, their OC right now. They'll That stuff all gets figured out over time if you get the quarterback right. So I'm going to go with the Bears. I like the Chargers hiring of Jim Harbaugh. I like Justin Herbert. I think we got out over our skis a little bit on what Herbert is at this point in his career. But I think the Chargers will be solid next year. I don't think they're going to win a Super Bowl because of how good the AFC is. I think the Bears have a real chance to be able to get this thing turned around quicker um, than some expect. T-Bone? Guys, more likely to happen. The Bennington-Hofer tandem gets the Blues to the Stanley Cup Finals. No. Or the Miles Michaelis Sonny Gray tandem oh. gets the Cardinals to the World Series. Oh, I'm not so fast to say no now, are we? It's quick, BK. So you're not saying just this year for the Hofer Bennington tandem, by the way. You're saying like in general. I was saying this year oh, okay. because Gray and Michaelis, if you wanted to go long term, I guess. Go Gray and Michaelis. I, I don't think this Blues team can make it to the Stanley Cup final. I don't even with great goaltending. I, I don't think they're capable of that. I think the offense is capable of of driving this Cardinals team to the World Series. I think it's unlikely. Like, what are the odds? Two, three, five percent? It's incredibly unlikely. What do I think the odds are of the St. Louis Blues with this middle six making it to the Stanley Cup final? Zero. Ab- literally zero. Zero chance of that taking place. I hope to have nothing more than for us to revert back to 129 on February 7th of 2024. We yeah, listen back down. to this and say, hey. BK was an idiot. He said there was no chance of the Blues making it to the Stanley Cup final. And now look at him, right? We'll put together the montage. It'll be ready to go. 
It's not happening. There's a 0% chance of this team making it to the Stanley Cup Finals. So I'll go Cardinals. BK, I'm on your side here as well because this is no referendum on Bennington, on Hofer, on that goaltending tandem that the Blues possess. But rather, we talked about it yesterday on the show. In order to advance in the Western Conference, in order to make waves in this conference, you're going to have to go through an absolute gauntlet. You're talking about Colorado. You're talking about Vegas. You're talking about Edmonton, which just last night had a 16-game winning streak snap, not to mention Dallas and some other teams that are markedly better than you as a unit right now, irrespective of what happens at the trade deadline. No. I'm with you. All I, right. Brent. I would say Bennington. I would say Bennington and Holford get the Blues to the Cup. Really? Because I think a goalie can steal a series. Now, doing it four times, three times would be very difficult. A series. But I could see where if Bennington plays really well, then goes cold. You have someone to fall back on in Hofer who could then take the reins. I, with the car, I don't trust Michaelis as the two to get help guide that rotation through the playoffs. Maybe they can do it in, you know, the wild card round. Maybe if you get a really good draw and you avoid the Braves or the Dodgers in the divisional round, I could see it. I just don't see it against the Dodgers or the Braves, who I think you're going to have to go up against. I just don't think Michaelis can shut them down enough to give you a fighting chance to help be that one-two punch with Sonny Gray. That's why I say, though it is very unlikely for Bennington and Hofer to carry the team through three series, I've seen Bennington just show up for October. I've seen goaltending steal at minimum a series. So I would say it's more likely Bennington Hofer do it. Bradford, what do you got? It's a fun question. More likely to happen in which we love the hypotheticals here. Sonny Gray, Cardinals ace, reaches 15 wins for the first time in his career or he logs 200 innings pitched for the yeah. first time since Former. 2015. 15 wins. All right. He's more likely to get to the wins threshold than he is to get to the innings threshold. He's, he's not going to be at, you said 200 innings? Yeah, 184 last year. Yeah. Within reason. There were, what, three pitchers in all of Major League Baseball that got to 200? You're you're expecting, not hoping, expecting for this to happen. Him to get to 30-plus uh, starts and him to average more than six innings per start. It's just not happening. That's not who Sonny Gray is as a pitcher. That's not who you signed. Yeah, I, I would say definitely more likely he gets to 15 wins. I, I'm not sure that'll happen, but at least then, if he goes through five innings, he qualifies for a win. He'll probably hold teams down to like one, two runs. I could see where the offense can help boost that win total. I just don't see him getting to 200 innings. I, I think 160 is like what I'm expecting from Sunday Gray this year. What do you think? I honestly think the innings are in reach because last year with Minnesota, he was fairly close. Okay, I understand it's still a reach one way or another, but if you're asking me to bank on him to get 15 wins, even with this lineup, something he has never accomplished in his career, at least I know that Sonny Gray, while he hasn't necessarily reached that territory in the last few seasons, he has been that guy. So I think this narrative that he is incapable of consistently going deep into games is a bit overstated at this point. You want to see it, yes, but you're going to have to get a heck of a lot more out of him, in my opinion, than just the mid-160s to be a representative team in the NL Central. All right, final thing here. More likely to happen, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Guys, one of Dvorsky or Snuggerud wins the Calder Trophy next year for the Blues, or Mason Wynn wins the Rookie of the Year this year for the Cardinals. T-Bone, which one's more likely to you? Uh, I would say Dvorsky or Snuggerud wins the Calder Trophy because those guys are profiled as goal scorers. And I could see where Snuggerud, if he comes up, he's probably going to be on that top line, would be my guess. And I could see where him, Thomas, and Kyrou, if they're the line mates, or him, Thomas, and Booch, end up putting up a ton of points to where it would jump up that profile. For Mason Wynn, a lot of people, we talked about this with Walker. 
when when you look at his offensive numbers, I could see where maybe he surprises us, but I'm not expecting his offense to be great this year, whereas OPS on base and stuff look good. His home run RBI total is not going to be very gaudy. Why? Because he's hitting like ninth in the order. So yeah. I would say it's definitely more likely divorce gear snugs. The only guys to win NL or to win rookie of the year in the last 15 seasons without at least 20 home runs were Michael Harris. He hit 19. Will Myers back in 2013, he hit 13 home runs that season, but did uh, have an OPS over 800. And Buster Posey, who hit 18 and had an OPS over 860. Yeah. I, I don't think that Mason Wynn can reach the offensive thresholds that are required for you to get to a rookie of the year campaign. That doesn't mean he wouldn't be deserving of it. He might be so excellent defensively that we in St. Louis will view him that way, but I don't think nationally he'll be able to put up the offensive numbers to get him there. Slug, baby, slug. That has to be the story even in one's rookie campaign. I'm with you, Tanner. I think that either Dvorsky or, for that matter, of course, Nagarud will be that individual. The key word you mentioned there, profile. And if you're talking about one or the other or both, receiving substantial time in the top six sounds like a recipe for success to me. That's Bradford Bruns. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, let's go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues. He's been enjoying, I would assume, his all-star break. Blues not back in action, though, this weekend in Buffalo against the Sabres. They get one of the extended breaks of all of the teams across the league. Kerbs, appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? BK doing great, just uh, heading home from Kansas City, spent some time today uh, uh, touring UMKC, but also in the uh, Negro Leagues Museum. Oh, I nice. had never been in that before, so I was, I'm uh, pretty excited. What, what an amazing experience that was to finally get to get in there and check that out. That is, for anybody that is listening, a spot I, I cannot recommend enough. If you spend any time in Kansas City and you have an opportunity to go to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. It is the crown jewel, in my opinion, of Kansas City. Um, it is it is well worth your time. Carve out some time, though. You, you could stay there all day long if you really wanted to. Um, it's it's worth going over there for, for a day trip, for sure. Yeah, and, and you know what, too, uh, BK? I don't, know if, uh, I, I don't know if this is a new exhibit or not or, or part of it, and I, and I didn't know it. So it, we went, we had some lunch, and then we're, we're driving home. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see this, but... They've got right towards the end before, you know, the, the path funnels you onto that, you know, the, the baseball field that they've got in there with the statues that so many people have maybe seen pictures of. But there's this display, and it's just the coolest heck display of all these baseballs signed by former Negro League players. And, you know, like each baseball signed by one of them. Well, apparently it was a collection, cause, and, and it says on the glass, it says, it says Getty Lee. And I... And I'm thinking, okay, the Rush singer, right? And then you're like, or maybe that's a brand name of something I didn't know. Well, no, it turns out, I guess that was Getty Lee's collection. And, that, and I don't know his connection as to why or where his um, affinity for that came from, but I'm looking forward to learning that one. I, th- I thought that was kind of something pretty doggone cool. Yeah, it's it's a really cool spot. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but it's uh, genuine. Like, T-Bone would have a heyday there. It's it's incredible. It's oh yeah. It's really, really, really worth your time. All right, uh, Curbs, let's get to the Blues side of things here. It was announced the other day that, um, at least reported, that the Blues are going to be a part of another Winter Classic, this one taking place in Chicago at Wrigley Field against the Blackhawks. It'll take place next year. 
I'm curious from your perspective, Curbs, you've seen a couple of these now. Do you feel like the luster has, has worn off a bit from the Winter Classic, or do you still get excited about these opportunities? No, I don't think the luster has worn off at all. I'm with you. Especially when it's the Winter, especially when it's the winter Classic, because that is still the showcase uh, that is still the showcase event. So, um, you know, going back to some ballparks, they've already done them in. We've seen Fenway now, now Wrigley. That part, I, I can understand why people might think that. But when you're involved in them and the markets that are involved in them, it is such a big thing in that market. And so when you get the national exposure, obviously, from the New Year's Day game and you're, you're kind of the only thing in town, you know, surrounded by some college bowl games. But um, – the players love it. The players don't seem to get old of it. And every time they announce an outdoor game, you know, a bunch of people get frustrated because their team wasn't entered to the players like we haven't had a chance. And I'll tell you something, and, and this is a huge credit to the St. Louis fans, guys, is, like, I mean, this would be this would be the third winter classic for the St. Louis Blues out of the last seven, maybe eight out of the last eight. I mean, that's that's – that's saying something, and it only happens because of the way this market continues to to treat the Blues, and and it's huge. So, no, I, I you know, they expanded it to include the the stadium series and all that. It doesn't get the same height, but from a Winter Classic standpoint, BK, I I, I think it's 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 a huge event for everybody involved. And Curbs, before we get to the Winter Classic in 2025, big decisions to be made here in just about a month with the NHL trade deadline on March 8th. Do you feel like there's like a, a need that the Blues need to accomplish at this year's trade deadline? Well, I think there's. Yeah, I mean, okay, yeah. If you were to, if you were to look at a need of what this team could use to say push, by the, when they start play on Saturday night. Because of the way the other teams are playing, they will still be in a playoff spot. So with 33 games to go, they will have one of the the eight playoff spots in the Western Conference. Uh, if, if you're looking for a need, uh, you you clearly need some finishing power up front. You, you clearly need, uh, I, I think, just a, a more of a game changer up front in a top six role. Here's the deal: you're not going to give up what it's going to take to get that. You've already seen what, say, a Monahan has taken, or what. Even from a defensive standpoint, a Hampus Lindholm has, has, has gotten. It's not where the Blues are at from a from, from an organizational standpoint. Here's here's what I can tell you. Under Tom Stillman as as chairman of the ownership group, they do not want to just be in the middle mud, right? They they do not just want to be in the middle, saying we're making the playoffs as a as a four seed, a five seed, a seven seed, and then trying to build that way. They, they want to win championships. They want to be competitive. Uh, that's why at this trade deadline, I still see the Blues moving some guys that are UFAs, continuing the process they started last year. If the team ends up in a playoff spot, they end up in a playoff spot. But you are still utilizing this upcoming trade deadline, however you shake it out, guys, as a way to continue to build towards the next two or three years. And that means to me that if they're looking for somebody at the trade deadline, they're looking for that middle-range player that might have a couple of years of RFA left, 25 years of range, that they think could grow to be part of the core with Thomas Cairo, Pareko, those guys. So that's that's how I see this developing with 14 games to go before the deadline. Curbs, we've got your answer on Getty Lee and his uh, connection to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Somebody on our text line sent this in. Nice. Par- 
Apparently a while ago, this was like 2012, he went to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, left so in awe of it that he was like, this is one of the coolest things I've ever done. Soon after that, he came across an opportunity to buy 400 baseballs signed by the stars of the Negro Leagues. He didn't think twice about it, immediately purchased that and sent it to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum because of how much he enjoyed his visit there. He wanted to be able to contribute in any way that he could. So there's your answer as to what his connection was with the with the museum. I, I put it like I put it on social media. But it's sort of like to me the uh, I don't know if you guys have been to the book depository in Dallas, Mm-mm. right? Um, or uh, honestly, like the Holocaust Museum in New York. Okay, that one, and then. Uh, See, I'm trying to think of the other one that's just off the top of my head here. But the the museums that you go into and you're going to come out like, what in the world was that? And and you, you can't you can't go into the Negro Leagues Museum without feeling and, and without it impacting you in some way, shape, or form. And that that's a sign of a cool museum. But that's that's an awesome, awesome story with Getty Lee and those baseballs. Right. I thought it was cool. Yeah, everybody takes a little something different from it, whatever it is that you want to take from it, like you, for for example, <laughs> with this. Um, you, you're going to leave with something uh, from that museum. That's right. Hey, Curbs, yep. appreciate the time, man. Looking forward to hearing you back on the call. Blues versus Sabres on Saturday uh, afternoon right here on 101 ESPN. Looking forward to that call. We'll talk with you again next week, my friend. All right, guys, have an awesome week. You got it. That's Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. Blues versus Sabres in a matinee on Saturday afternoon uh, coming up at 12 o'clock. I believe Alex will be back for that one, if I'm not mistaken. And then he'll be back in with us starting next week. For Tanner Hendrickson and Bradford Bruns, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Friday, I will be available to hang out, say hello, what's up, over at Hardy's off of Zumbel in St. Peter's. Friday morning, we're helping heat up St. Louis during the 24th annual Hardy's Rise and Shine fundraiser. Stop by any participating Hardy's in the bi-state area this Friday morning. You can grab a sausage biscuit or an egg biscuit for just $1. 100% of the proceeds of all of the funds collected will help heat up St. Louis, supporting people in need in both Missouri and Illinois. For more information, Go to 101ESPN.com. Again, I'll be hanging out over at the Hardy's location off of Zumbel in St. Peter's if you'd like to come by and say hello. All right, it's time for the BK and Ferrario Rewind. T-Bone for today. Um, I would like to talk about something that we actually have not gotten to so far. Antonio Pierce just announced that Chad Johnson is going to be a part of the coaching staff in Las Vegas. Now, T-Bone, I'm going to be honest with you. I liked what we saw from Antonio Pierce as the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders when he was the interim this year. I am really worried about what this is going to look like over the long haul. Not because of Chad Johnson. Like, I, I like Chad Johnson, and he's a, he does a good job with um, Shannon Sharp, their podcast and stuff. And I, I don't know if that's going to be a good or a bad hire or whatever. He made a comment yesterday that Antonio Pierce did about why he hired his offensive coordinator, Luke Getze. Luke Getze, his team, the Bears, performed well against the Raiders last year. And Antonio Pierce's quote was, yeah, I don't know who he had a quarterback. I don't know who he had a wide receiver. I don't know who he had a running back, but they kicked our ass last year, so I wanted to hire that guy as ROC. 
I think people would be surprised at how often that happens. <laughs> Where a team gets beat by another team, they see that team have success against them, and they're like, gotta have that guy. And that is how Antonio Pierce came to this decision on his offensive coordinator. Some of that, I'm sure, is tongue-in-cheek. I'm not sure all of it is, though. They also hired the former GM from the L.A. Chargers, who did not exactly do a great job of building the team in L.A. If there is one hire this offseason that will crash and burn, I think it'll be what takes place in Las Vegas with Antonio Pierce. I think eventually he might end up being a good head coach. I don't know that he's ready just yet. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I I worry about him not being ready. And we've seen this before, you know, where a team can play well down the stretch with an interim head coach. Well, why? Because they're they're not playing for really anything. They 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 kind of had to have that moniker of man, we got to actually play because guess what happens next? Is what you see in the coach bump, the new head coach bump. Um, I I do have some concerns because I when I saw that quote and that was kind of how he kind of went about the offensive coordinator job. And look, that probably does happen. I wouldn't say that publicly. I, I would not when you're hiring yeah. your new OC when you missed out on your top target and Cliff. Cliff Kingsbury, I, I, I'm i a little worried that you see kind of that mojo that happened in the second half really just kind of dissipate rather quickly in Las Vegas. Yeah, I, I hope he has success because I think he's super fun. Like, I, I think he is good for the game of football to have a guy like that at the head as the head coach of the Raiders. He he embodies everything that I think of when I think of the Raiders, his attitude, everything. Uh, that being said, I, I'm really worried, especially given the division, given the Harbaugh hire in La, uh, Los Angeles. I I think the Raiders are in for a really rough go of it in 2024. All right, now is your chance to win a single session pair of tickets to the 2024 MVC tournament. It's Arch Madness. It's coming back here at Enterprise Center March 7th through the 10th, and a single session pass is going to be available right now. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you are texture number 101, and you can tell us who the radio show up in New York, Geo and Boomer, who did they mistakenly book? What was his name? A little hint. The Fastlane mistakenly did this a few years back as well. If you have the answer to that question, your text are number 101. You are getting a single session pair of tickets to see Arch Madness at Enterprise Center. For more information, check out 101ESPN.com or the 101 ESPN mobile app. For Tanner Hendrickson and Bradford Bruns, I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Fastlane's coming up next. Great cash, homie. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.